You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Wednesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LeBoy. I'm the proud host of the show. Today on the show, I've got Tom Peavy and Cam Berry with me as uh, we have a lot to talk about in the world of sports today, a lot of various topics uh, to hit on, some Auburn-related, some college football-related, uh, maybe a Braves topic or two. Also, we got to talk about what happened last night on the softball diamond, uh, a lot to a lot there to hit on. So uh, we'll get to in just a little bit. We will have a, a quick discussion on some of the weight changes, give you more Auburn fall football content, some of the notable weight changes from last year to this year as listed by the Auburn football roster. Uh, our guy Cole Pinkston of On3 uh, wrote that article earlier this week, so we'll hit some of the highlights of that. Also coming up, uh, we will continue to dive into college football realignment or uh, conference realignment as uh, we'll take it from a different angle today than we have been. We've been going from the conference angle. We'll take it from the college football playoff angle a little later today. Uh, Also want to get to another fall football preview, this time of Kentucky, 14 SEC schools in 13 days. So it's Kentucky Day in the 5 o'clock hour. Also a sports call 5 at 5, as always. Birthdays and sports nightly TV guide all coming up on the show as well. Ryan, Tom, and Cam with me here today. And fellas, we will lead off uh, as I uh, also ask you how you're doing. I know kind of how you're doing because it finally happened last night. The Thunder Chickens are winless no longer. 12 to 11, (laughs) a triumph, a scare, a lead that was almost blown but was not blown the Thunder Chickens. We they also we played another game last night. We're not talking about that no, one. No, that game's not. Well, I mean, only the first that game. game. What game? Yeah. Well, which was won by we the played, Thunder Chickens? I, in my opinion, we played one game. Right, one game. Twelve to eleven, Thunder Chickens victorious, first legitimate win yeah. in franchise history. So, fellas, I hope we are doing very well today after that triumph. Yeah, doing phenomenal after a finally after so long of us struggling to get wins and figuring out and navigating how to get uh get th- uh get through uh these schedules and and um just playing some softball and learning it now we're we finally got a victory and we played pretty well in that first game uh i think everybody contributed uh really evenly in their own way and uh we had a great time and, and finally got a win so it feels good to get that monkey off our back and um yeah so so really really doing well uh glad we got that first win Absolutely. Tom, uh, we've been riding together three Ooh, years there as the Thunder years. Chickens. 
We finally we had a forfeit win, I think, in year one, but yeah. that is not. We were a little concerned there would be a forfeit last night. I mean, we it took had them a st- long time to get. Some we players we actually here. started after the scheduled start time, but it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. No, uh, yeah, it's it's been one of those we've been so close uh, this year. We we we've seen the steady improvement over the years. Uh, you know, we improved last year, uh, didn't get it done. This year, even more improvement, and you know. We had a game earlier this season we should have won. We had yes, a big yeah, lead should. going into into one of the final innings and, and just could not make the defensive plays to get out of it. And we ended up losing that one and to a team that has now won. They won two other games. Yep. So, um, But this, this team, we knew it was a winnable game because of their record. Uh, and we, we, just, we really felt like that we had a ch- really, really good chances. It, it's not often that we go into these games in this league where we can look at it and go, we are the better team. And last night, we were the better team. And we knew we were the better team. And, and we took care of business. Now, yeah, it, right there at the end, we were it in. It got hairy. Well, <laughs> it, start, it felt like it was slipping away, just like the, the one against uh, yeah. the, the one that we should have won uh, early in the year. Uh, I, I'm not blaming J.J. Uh, you know, J.J. offered up a lot of walks in that inning. But it, the pitches looked great. That it wasn't like felt he was, like the strike zone got tight. It, it really yeah. felt like that the umpire all of a sudden JJ tightened has, up his strike yeah. zone because even JJ was kind of throwing his arms up like, you know, I don't know what more I could possibly do with that. Uh, and so it JJ that, had a flu game anyway. So <laughs> well, but that, but I mean that just it got frustrating in the end because JJ looked like he was throwing great pitches that they were getting called balls, and then of course you know you had a couple of guys that had not hit all game long, you know, or hit little tiny rollers or whatever, and all of a sudden they're hitting them into the outfield. And it's like, well, okay, here we go. And next thing you know, the bases are loaded, and next thing you know, there's a run, and next thing you know, there's another run. And I was like, this this is not happening again. This cannot possibly happen again. But we got the force out at second base to end it, and the celebration was on. So, yeah, it was 12-6 to six going into the last inning. Yep. We got the first down immediately. There was a yep. line drive, hit the Colby. He was playing the rover. He was positioned perfectly, didn't have to move. And it looked, it was such a such a great beginning to the inning. And then, as you said, so J.J. walked four in that inning. It was five total for the game. So he, he gave up a hard hit to third. Play could have been made. Tough to rule an error, though. And then, then it started. Had a couple walks, then had a solid single to center. Then another walk, then another hit, then another walk. And as you said, it was bases loaded, one out, 12-10. And then fly ball to left, Van makes the play, one of Cam's close friends. And uh, he and, and he makes the play, throws in the third. So run scores make 12-11. First and second, two out. Then ground ball in the infield, flipped it to second. Which is the play we didn't make? If you recall, the, it was yeah. nine to nine. We had blown the lead in the earlier game this right. year, yep. and we had a chance to to get to the bottom half tied. And there was an error at second base in that game, and the play was correctly made this time. It felt it felt like symmetry it, it, uh, in my mind. Uh, and so the play was made this time at second, and we were of course still up one run at that time. So that was it. JJ throws the glove up in the air. We start sprinting in. We try to balance celebration with not disrespecting the other team. Right. Um, it is still slow pitch softball. Right, we don't want right. to look like we just won the World Series. Right. Uh, yeah. But it was our first. One. It yeah. was our first one. Uh, 
the the so the the second game we played against Mo's Barbecue. Right. I, okay. Oh, so let so let's just get this out there. We've been so bad for the last three years that right the league recognizes that the other teams in the league know that we're bad. Yes. And so they they kind of root for the little guy. And so Mo's Barbecue is out there cheering for yep. us. They were just like they wanted us to win. So when they actually saw us get our win, the Mo's Barbecue guys, the guys that win championships out there. They were they were like really happy for us. Yep. And then of course they promptly came in and scored Spanked like yeah. sixteen runs in the first inning or yeah. whatever it was. Hit three or four homers in the game. Yeah. yeah. You get it. It wasn't like we made a bunch of poor yeah. defense. Congratulations players. on your win. I'm gonna thump you on the yeah. forehead now. Uh, <laughs> JJ, that was all he can. He didn't pitch in the second game because again he had back problems. He's he uh, he's going back out of town right now, and he's uh, going. He has a chiropractor appointment. Uh, today, I mean, like he was—it was his flu game. It was the Kurt Schilling bloody sock game. I mean, it yeah. was—it was all the all <laughs> intense not, yeah. things. For he was JJ. having trouble running down the baseline. Yeah, uh, he was needing a pinch runner when he got on a couple times. So, uh, it was—it was pretty incredible stuff. But uh, again, we have not been a great hitting team. No. But we had—we had to that we did to them something that has been done to us yeah. fifty times, and this was—they made an error. And then we capitalized. We right. had like a six-run spurt with two outs in an yep. inning that all stemmed from a from a bad error. And I think they may have made a, one or two more in that inning too. But it was the wheels fall off type of thing. It's the momentum. It's the things that I'm not. I'm using this to tell you a bigger point about the sports world. It's yeah. the things the data will never be able to actually yeah. see the human side of it. To when you make an error and it feels like you're about to get snowballed on. And then it does happen. And so we were actually on the other side of that this time. We've had countless seven, eight, nine, ten run innings against us because we've made one or two errors that right. let it snowball. Well, that time with two outs, they made an error, and it caused five or six more runs to score. And, and so that's how we got the big enough lead. We were, I mean, we had two chances, bottom five, bottom six, to, to score three rule. or four runs to mercy rule. And yeah. it Just ended up could be, not scratch cross. Right. And it went, they changed pitchers, and then we were, we were not hitting them where we needed to hit them. And, and so it went from almost mercy to, oh, no. Oh, no, oh no here we yeah. go again. Uh, and so – and we were the home team for the record, so we would have gotten a chance. But you blow a six-run lead, again, the psyche of it is not on your side. You know, I mean, again, that's that's the momentum part. That's why we didn't come back and score in the game earlier this year uh, once we once we lost the lead there late. So I was very proud of, of the effort. Uh, again, we got cooked in the second game. That's fine. Uh, but – you know, got a win under the belt. The two teams there, uh, ourselves and the team we played last night and beat, both finished one and eleven. So we earn a tiebreaker. So we did not finish last in the league. Uh, and hang the banner. And then the scores, <laughs> the scores were posted so quickly that I almost thought, and this is probably not true, but it, I'd like to think this: that someone in the league. Was like, wait a minute! They actually won. <laughs> We're posting this right now. I think it was more just because it was the last week of the year, and they right. need to get get the standings completed for the playoffs next week. But you have to know someone in there's like, they finally did it. Well, oh my gosh, they them. finally won. So when I was walking into the uh, into the ballpark yesterday, uh, one of the guys that uh, sits there at the uh, table under the tent or whatever is yeah. a buddy of mine, and uh, he saw me. He goes. So y'all gonna get one tonight? Yeah. So again, see the, the folks in the league know, yeah. and they're they, so yeah. One of the ballpark workers today, he was like, "So you're getting one tonight?" I'm like, I think we got a good chance. Yeah. I mean, look, we 
it was good to actually put a result on the board, the proof what we've been talking about, and we keep it real. We know we're terrible, but we also know that we were better this year. Like, we were clearly making strides. We should have won a game earlier this year. Like I said, three-run lead going to the last inning, all seven inning game. That night, later on, we played another quality team, a team that finished 500 or just above, and lost 7-2. to two. Right. I like a baseball score, not a softball scoring right. game. We lost seven two, so we had a complete night that a middle year where we lost by combined eight runs in two games and played all fourteen innings of softball that night. Yeah. That never happened. We had never played fourteen innings in one night. Never had two straight seven inning games. So again, absolutely, you have every right to laugh at how bad it is. We get it. That's that's still awful. But the point remains, it still was better than what it was, and so there were things to be not proud of, but things to be happy about in terms of improvement. But to get the win is the validation for that. Our friend Justin Ferguson, who comes on the show all the time, uh, of the Auburn Observer, we tweeted at him, and he said, no, you didn't. <laughs> like, just a dis- <laughs> in disbelief uh, that we'd done it. So I can't wait to talk to Justin uh, sometime here soon and, and, again, verbalize all this because he was just giving us the very low bars to just, like, play all seven innings and, and, and see what happens and that right. sort of thing. He was not even – saying we're going to win this year. So, alas, we are no longer winless, and that is a very good feeling. We're going to take our first time out of the show. When we come back, we will do more constructive things than uh, simply talk about our rec league softball team, although we do certainly love it. Again, we're going to get into a little bit of the change in player weight. Just want to give you a few instances of how how strength and conditioning is going, especially up front with the offensive line. We'll tell you about some of these weight gains uh, and weight subtractions from 2022 into 2023. When we come back, you're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday afternoon. And let's get into a little bit of Auburn fall football as practice continues on. Of course, the big news yesterday was Jarquez Hunter returning to practice in a full capacity. And so that was very important to see. Again, we still... Can't act with absolutes. We still don't know for sure until we hear some coaches talk about it, if he will be uh, on the field for game one or not. But clearly there's nothing, I don't think, long-term going on here. There's not going to be a uh, a heavy suspension or there's not going to be any dismissal from the team, anything on, on that route. It's going to be very short-term, if anything at all. It might not be suspended for a game at all. So still have those possibilities in play. But again, very good to see Darnquist Hunter back out there at practice today, the angle we want to take 
with Auburn Fall Practice is an article done on Monday by Cole Pinkston on three. I'm not going to read all of his work, all of the weights that he's listed. We're going to hit on a few here just to give you an idea of some weight changes from 2022 to 2023, where it might matter most. Mainly, guys, I want to talk about what's going on up front. And we always talk about some big boy linemen in the Southeastern Conference and both sides of the ball. And so you could see a concerted effort, especially on the offensive line, to get some guys well-fed, to get some more stakes in those boys. So got four offensive linemen here. There's also a couple defensive linemen we could hit on. But I've got Dylan Wade, Tate Johnson, EJ Harris, Avery Jones. Some of these guys will absolutely start and or, and or factor in. Dylan Wade was listed at 290 last year. He is listed at 307 this year. Tate Johnson was 285 last year. He's listed as 302. Okay. EJ Harris was 312. He's listed at 331 now. And Avery Jones was listed at 288. Now he is 302. These so, are starting to sound like some SEC offensive linemen. Yeah, I mean, th- this is, uh, again, that's 10, 15, 20 pounds yeah. added there. Uh, in some cases, bulking up the offensive line. Obviously, you still always will need, uh, especially zone blocking scheme, if, if it goes that direction a lot, then you'll need some sort of agility, some sort of ability to get down the field a little bit. But... Uh, look, you're, you're facing these guys from Georgia and LSU and Alabama that are going to be looking 320, 330 in the middle of the line of scrimmage. They're going to be 270 or 280 on the ends, but they're going to be fast as lightning. You know, you, you need some more bulk up there. And so what do you think? I mean, again, uh, 15, 20 pounds in some of these cases. That seems like the the message was pretty clear there. Yeah, it seems like the message has been clear and received that that uh, we needed the you know the strength and conditioning coach uh, wanted these guys to put on weight, and they sure did. Um, and and I mean, wow, that's that was surprising. I I had not seen that article, so hearing uh, hearing those numbers, yeah, that's that's very impressive. Um, and, and happy to hear. And like I said, that, that, those weights, those guys now sound like they are some SEC offensive sure. linemen. I uh, also got a couple of defensive linemen ads here too. But, yeah, on the offensive line, again, the, the other point is, again, Tom, I know that you, when you're, when you're looking at linemen, like you feel a little bit better. If, you, if you're looking at a lower-ranked guy, obviously you want higher-ranked guys. But – in general, is it safe to say you feel a little bit better about a low rank lineman if they're starting off with a big weight? Like, is that something that makes you feel a little bit better? Or, or I mean, it, that seems to be something that you've targeted here in the past as being very vital. Yeah, I mean, the the weight uh, on your offensive line is definitely a thing. Um, you know, you can work on technique, you can work on your footwork and things like that, and, and that's where if you're if you're a lower level uh, three star type offensive lineman it's probably because there's some issues with some footwork and some technique and some things like that um you can't teach size if if you if you are a kid that is 315 pounds then you're still 315 pounds and that's going to be difficult to get through again though you got to work on the technique but i feel more comfortable if I see if I see a lineman there that's a three star that's three fifteen, then I feel a lot more comfortable than a three star lineman that is sitting at two seventy five, two eighty five. In the SEC in any sort of big boy football right now, you have to be over 
305 pounds pretty much to play on the offensive line. I mean, and I remember I came up in a day where 300 pounds was like an anomaly, but now you have to be 300. It's like the 95 fastball. Now everybody's got it. Sure. Everybody needs right. to have it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're you're not you're not playing any sort of big time football on the offensive line if you're not at least 300 pounds, and so you have to have that. You have to have the beef up front to to get it started. And so there's also oh I wanted to point this out too. This is not Auburn related. Did you guys see the TCU offensive lineman? That's like 440 uh, pounds. pounds. Yeah, Good. That's a, I don't that's know a, how he's oh, going to be able to move. No, well, yeah. and that's the thing. There, there's big and there's too big, right. and I think that's that's, a, that's, that's too big. Yeah, that's a very very large individual. Because I mean, it's one thing when <laughs> Bama had pads like don't even fit. It's it's one thing when Bama had Terrence Cody and they felt pretty good about a run situation. They're basically like Terrence just stand here and eat yeah. two blockers, yeah. literally eat two blockers. <laughs> and and look, obviously it wasn't always a run, so he would pass rush. He could move to some degree, but it still was not going to be at a at a right. high level in terms of movement. But <laughs> he was so big, it just like that fit well for a defensive tackle. For an offensive lineman, man, I don't know if you could play him especially not every down. And yeah. I, he would be one of the first offensive linemen I'd be aware of that would have to be a situational lineman, which is very poor. Uh, it's not a good idea to do this because then it tells the defense exactly what kind of play you got. Uh, and and I, I I wouldn't really do that. I, yeah. I, I, I would think that he would only play at like the 10-yard line Yeah, we're trying to, pu- trying to punch the ball in. But otherwise, unless he can move more than I'm giving him credit for, 440 pounds. Yeah, I mean, they're you know maybe maybe get involved in wrestling or something. I don't gonna, know. They're gonna need to. They're probably gonna need to get him to lose weight and then transform the weight. Yeah, they're they're that's the only way for him yeah. to have any type of successful career. Yeah, it is monstrous. Though. Yeah, he's it, he's a, he's a big boy. <laughs> so, a couple defense alignment weights for Auburn that have changed. Uh, I got Justin Rogers and Jason Jones on here, both guys in the middle of the line. Justin Rogers was three thirty-two last year. He's up to three forty-six. I mean, he's it's getting pretty high. And then Jason Jones was three twenty-eight last year. He's up to three thirty-eight. So again, double-digit gains. You're talking mid three hundreds there in the middle of the line. So one drop in the line, which this almost feels like this could be a position adjustment. Messiah Nasili Kiete, that's the transfer from Maryland. Talked a little bit about him in the spring. He was 310 last year at Maryland. He is down to 285. He dropped Mm. 25 pounds. To me, that seems like a concerted effort to attempt to play him a little bit closer to the edge, not exactly nose tackle, somewhere a little more spaced out. From the middle of the line, um, I, I again, I I've, if it was five or ten pounds, I think it'd almost be accidental. But when it's twenty five pounds to me, that 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 signals that Movement. they're probably yeah. trying to go a different direction with him. Couple other notables for non offensive linemen: Jarquez Hunter listed at two oh two last year. He is two twelve now. Wow. Uh, so he put on double digit weight. Some of these wide receivers, Jair Shorter was 218 last year. He's listed at 209 now. Shane Hooks had a pretty big drop. He was 205 at Jackson State last year. Now he's at 191. So he's going to be long and lanky Speedy. for the Tigers there. Uh, Javarius Johnson added a few. <laughs> I was going to be a little concerned if he dropped more. Uh, he was 160 last year. He's 167. 
Uh, and then one quarter or two quarterbacks where he Peyton Thorne was 210 at Michigan State last year. He's 203 now. And Robbie Ashford was 212 last year. He's 218 okay. uh, this year. So I don't know if any big takeaways from those type of guys, but just wanted to throw out a few skill positions so there. So Robbie's beefed up just a tad bit and – looks like Peyton's kind of seems like he's kind of went down kinda, a little yeah, bit maybe trying leaned, to add yeah, to the agility a little some, bit yeah yeah kind of added to add to some speed movement um side to side stuff so that's interesting and then yeah um hooks he's yeah long lanky yeah, four, drop yeah. 14 yeah. man and yeah, definitely felt like he needed to quicken up a little definitely. bit definitely so he's going to be kind of adding some speed so that'll definitely be some some interesting guys to watch how they uh, how they move now this year. Absolutely. So that's kind of a quick rundown there of some of the highlights of uh, some Auburn weight changes from 2022 and the 2023. Just kind of a brief look there at the strength and conditioning. Again, if you want to go to uh, see the rest of the players on there, go to on3.com. Uh, Cole Pinkston was who did that article, our good friend. We're going to take our next time out of the show, back with birthdays and sports after this timeout. Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday edition of the show. No wacky Wednesday today, but uh, be sure to have one here in the in the coming weeks again, one or two more times before, uh, before football season actually starts, which, again, is only a couple of weeks away. Uh, very thankful for that. Again, we're very proud of the successes last night. We also had a big... Uh, cheering section also just because uh, you know like you said tom mo's barbecue was also kind of cheering for us there at the end but felt like we had a good crowd i'm glad i'm glad people actually witnessed that it did happen and <laughs> so they can believe it and we're not just fibbing well to we them. also we filmed the last out of the game so. right well that that's that's also true but uh put that on twitter uh so yeah no we uh had a great night last night it was a lot of fun for sure let's get to something else fun today Time for birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. Birthdays and sports today on August the 9th. We start with Bob Cousy, who turns 95 today. 
Former NBA point guard Kuzi was born in New York City and started playing basketball at age 13. He played college basketball at Holy Cross. Go Crusaders. And was a three-time All-American and one-time national champion, the powerhouse Holy Cross Crusaders in the 1940s. His number 17 is retired by Holy Cross. Drafted third overall in the 1950 draft by the Boston Celtics, where he played 13 of his 15 years in the NBA, 13-time All-Star, 12-time All-NBA selection, 8-time assist leader, 1-time MVP, and 6-time finals champ. His number 14 is retired by the Celtics, member of both the College of Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, and the award that goes to the top point guard in college basketball is named after him. He went to uh, Andrew Jackson High School in Queens, New York. It's a school that is closed in 1994. I'm sure they had a mascot, but I can't find it. Um, I found Maybe a, they changed their name to the Bob Cousies. Maybe. <laughs> I, but they had a, I found an old logo that had what looked like a mountaineer or a pioneer, maybe, uh-huh. because it was like a... A uh, guy with like a fur coat and a um, Davy Crockett hat holding like a musket standing on right. a J for Jackson. So maybe they were the pioneers or something like that. I don't sure. know, but I could not find evidence of the na- name of that, the nickname of that school. But it, it closed in 1994 due to uh, all sorts of problems, basically. Sure. It, it, it happens. And again, Bob Cousy, 95 years old. So it was a long time ago where he did go to high school. Ted Simmons turned 74 today. Former MLB catcher Simmons was born in Michigan, was selected 10th overall by the Cardinals in 1967 following his high school career. At Southfield High School in Southfield, Michigan, go Warriors, and he was committed to Michigan and turned it down to go pro. I would certainly do that as well if I went 10th overall. Made his debut for the team three years later, played 21 years in the majors for the Cardinals, Brewers, and Braves. At the time of his retirement, Simmons led all catchers in career hits and doubles and ranked second RBIs. I did not know that. He also retired with the National League record for home runs by a switch hitter despite playing several years in the American League. He was an eight-time All-Star and one-time Silver Slugger. His number 23 is retired by the Cardinals, and he's a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Ted Simmons turns 74 today. John Capaletti turns 71, former NFL running back. Capaletti was born in Pennsylvania and played college football at Penn State. Go Nittany Lions. He didn't play running back until his junior season, but in his senior season, was a unanimous All-American, won the Walter Camp Maxwell and Heisman Trophies. His number 22 is retired by Penn State. He is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, drafted 11th overall by the Rams in 1974, and spent nine years in the National Football League. And he went to Monsignor Bonner High School in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania, which is a... Uh, Suburb of Philadelphia, go Friars. Okay, that's a good the one. Monsignor Bonner Friars. That's a that's a pretty full name there. High school too. So John Capaletti is seventy one today, and Dion Sanders is fifty six today. Prime time head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. Sanders was born in Florida. Was an All State selection football, basketball, baseball, and track in high school. At Fort Myers High School, go Red Knights. Red Knights. Solid Knights. That's different. Usually it's like Black Knights or maybe Golden Knights or something. Red Knights. Okay. Played college football at and baseball, of course, at Florida State. Go Seminoles. Uh, in baseball and, and in track, he played on top ten teams and won an ACC championship in both. Football, those where he found the most success. Two-time unanimous All-American winner of the 1988 Jim Thorpe Award. Number two is honored by FSU football. In 1989, he was drafted fifth overall by the Atlanta Falcons, Falcons and was also drafted by the New York Yankees, beginning a career as both a, a pro in baseball and in football. He remains the only player to play in both a World Series and a Super Bowl. While his baseball career was a, as a journeyman, he is thought as many as one of the greatest corners in NFL history. Eight-time Pro Bowler, eight-time All-Pro, 
one-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year and two-time Super Bowl champ. And again, the current head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, Deion Sanders, is 56 today. And those are the birthdays in sports. Bob Cousy, 95. Ted Simmons, 74. John Capaletti, 71. And Deion Sanders, 56. As we continue on with the show today, let's talk a little Braves as well. We've Brace. mentioned them from time to time the last couple of weeks. We haven't done like a full segment on them in a little while, just updating the, the run of play. I guess the last time we did that was around the trade deadline. Kind of up and down since then. Uh, they've continued to win a couple, lose a couple, playing about 500 ball the last 10, 15 games, something like that. Definitely not uh, the most robust stretch of their season did have a nice comeback win last night against pittsburgh Uh, acuna had led off the game with a homer i recalled saying i think we did the five at five yesterday or the day before about uh the the guys that have 20 plus homers for the braves there were there were five of them and i think i made the comment acuna starting to not look like he's going to get the 40 so what does he do second pitch of the game home run shut up ryan then you know that sort of thing (laughs) uh but hey keep shutting me up I'm, i'm good with that uh, and then, unfortunately, get, got hit last night, but he is in the lineup tonight. So, again, last couple of weeks, guys, not the most stellar play, but the, the lead's still at 10.5 games. Are you a little concerned? Are you just more perturbed? Or are you just like, I don't care, we're good, it doesn't matter? Just kind of where are you at in the last couple of weeks? Um, I'm a little bit more just kind of – their ability to tread water is, is fine. I think they're as long as they're able to keep doing that – uh, obviously, at this point, uh, I was hoping that they'd be able to set a record in wins. Obviously, we we're we we're kind of past that, uh, that it's more than likely not going to happen. So it is what it is. As long as they can maintain their lead in the division and get that lock in, that number one seed in the National League for the playoffs, uh, that's really the main focus at this point. As long as you can keep the Dodgers at bay and, and keep um, – think second in the division is the Phillies right now yes. uh, so if you, as long as you can keep that uh, I mean like I said 10 and a half games up so um, they, they seem to be fine and, and as long as you maintain that lead uh, that's the most important one so uh, I, I'm not as as upset about it I, I just want to see him to continue to win games just because you know that's my team so um, win as many games as possible is really my main thing and what I think about when I'm just I just watch him to, to enjoy and um, I'd love to see Ronald, you know, get to 40 homers. We'll see if that's going to be something that's possible. Um, but I mean, and and hopefully 80 80 stolen bases as well. He's he's well on pace to that. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, I mean, the team's still doing fine. Obviously, the pitching is a little. The starting pitching is a little little rough. Uh, you kind of want to get that squared away. Got Max Freed going tonight and uh, in his second start since his return off the IL. Uh, his first one, his first start, he did very well. Six innings and I think he had like eight strikeouts. He did really well. So um, yeah, so as, as long as you can continue that, figure out how the pitching rotation is going to go and, and, and work that out, uh, the offense is going to be fine. We know that. The offense will, will always figure out a way. Even if they have a slump for a couple of games, they'll get right back into what they need to do to, to keep hitting and, and setting you know different, uh, different franchise records for that at the very least. So I'm not too worried about it. I, I just want to continue to watch them and, and see if they can at least get past the century mark of, of wins. Tom, what have you thought about the last couple of weeks? Um, definitely feel like you're off the pace from where you were at uh, before the All-Star break because, I mean, they, they were just 
so scorching hot before that. But you also had to understand it, and I warned against this when they were so hot, that there's going to be a slip-up because you just don't stay that hot. Uh, the way they were before All-Star break, they, that just doesn't happen. There's going to be a step back, and it's a matter of how big of a step back or how big of a slump do they get in. It was going to happen. That's baseball. Hopefully this is the slump um, and not just a precursor to something even worse. Right. You're hoping that this is it, that, that this is as bad as it's going to get. Yeah, like a, if a slump is 500 ball, like I'm cool with that, exactly. with that honestly. Um, you know, they're, they're, still, they're still hitting at a great, a great pace. Acuna's still hitting at a great pace. Uh, Olsen's still uh, – Olsen's putting up MVP numbers right now. Um, and so yeah, if Ronald the, the, wasn't on the team and doing what he was doing, it'd definitely be Matt. Yeah. Um, the offense has not been really the problem. It's just been that pitching and that, you know, you saw Strider who has just been lights out the other night against Pittsburgh, just absolutely get blasted. I think we yeah, made jump two, two and a third inning or uh, something like that. Something like that. It was uh, it's like his shortest, shortest outing, shortest outing minute. ever. And I mean, he just got rocked. That never happens. I mean, I, you just hope that's an anomaly and not something else that's going on, uh, you know, there's definitely been some issues there with the pitching staff where they just they're surrendering a lot of runs to some of these teams. So yeah, you want to see that get fixed. But right now, I'm not panicking because I I do think that the Braves are still in a really good position. Uh, like like you talked about, uh, uh you know, treading water. Yeah. Uh, I think is the best way. Tread water right now. Get back on that hot street. Get some of these pitchers back healthy. Uh, that that you're missing so dearly right now. Get them back going, and I think this team will will get back on track. I mean, it's not like they're off track. It's just kind of they're sitting in neutral. They're sitting on the track, not moving right right now. They were playing so well the first half of the season. Oh, it was like full bore. I mean, it was like full steam ahead. Here we go. Watch out. We're we're taking down everybody in front of us. And now all of a sudden you're like, well, you lost a series to the Cubs. Not winning series is now disappointment. Yeah, it's like, dadgum. But I'm not panicking right now. I, I, I think they'll get it straightened out and be just fine. So last few games for the Braves has highlighted a, a recent drop in the starting pitching, and really this has been going on to some degree for a few weeks now. Right. Uh, but the last four games really illuminates it. So uh, gave up eight to the Cubs, then six, then seven to the Pirates, and then six to the Pirates. And over that stretch, so that is a total of 27 runs. Of those 27 runs in the last four games – 24 of the 27 have been giving up by starting pitching. So even though they're having to go to the bullpen in the middle innings, it's not the bullpen giving up runs here in these last four games. Again, that's an incredibly small sample size. I get it. But I do think it highlights that, look, the one thing that people wondered if the Braves would do is try to add a starting pitcher at the deadline. And the belief was the deadline acquisitions acquisitions would be Max Fried and Kyle Wright. And Max Fried already in one start has been terrific. Yep. Uh, we'll see how he is tonight against Pittsburgh. Uh, Kyle Wright still not progressing the way they want him to. We'll see if he even makes it back at this point this year as we now clicking into middle August. But I think that when you observe if Bryce Elder is going to start struggling, mm. if Charlie Morton's going to run out of gas – if Strider's going to have whoops moments. Those were not the guys you were going to take out of the rotation anyway. You're looking at someone last night like Yanni Chirinos, who would have been 
an odd man out, you would have been looking to replace someone like that. But if, if someone like Strider or Elder is going to struggle, those guys are going to be in the rotation until yeah. the end of the year unless they get injured. Uh, and so you were never going to replace those guys. So that that is kind of a problem that would not have been been fixable unless you've gotten a top-end starter, which there were not many of those uh, besides just the Mets guys. And the Mets guys are not likely to be traded yeah, to the Braves. they're not going to do any business. Though. Right? So not, not at least big business. So th- those were not practical, uh, even though we did discuss Verlander a little bit. But, again, that was always – going to be difficult to negotiate with an in-division team. Uh, as a matter of fact, they ended up getting the in-division brother. Uh, they got Ronald Cunha Jr.'s brother yep. in that Verlander trade from uh, Houston, I believe. Or, or maybe it was the Scherzer trade from Texas. I think it was that one. Uh, so I, I think that we're looking at something where that was not this – was, this is going to be a problem whether you had added a starter or not because – if you've got your guy that was the ERA leader for the first two months struggling, and you've got Strider, who's the strikeout leader in the in Major League Baseball struggling, if those things continue, then you are not fixing it by adding a third or fourth starter this no. year. Uh, the, it, it to me is, I'm still pretty, I'm not in a panic camp. Let me say that. Right. I, I think that the Braves can struggle somewhat starting pitching-wise and still win, win the whole thing. Yeah. Well. And it, it is because of their bullpen. Uh, and sure. it's because of the fact that I still think they've got one. I still think Max Fried's going to be good no matter what. If he, if he, after missing three months, goes out and fires six shutout innings against one of the hottest teams <laughs> in baseball, right. uh, I think he's going to be all right as long as he's healthy. So I think Max Freed's Max Freed, and, and the Braves can rely on at least one starter twice a series. Uh, what happens from there is, look, we always know managers freak out anyway in the postseason. Someone's struggling in the third inning, whoops, here comes the long reliever, or right. here comes, heck, here comes like our third best reliever to try to get out of that jam. Yeah. And we'll say the top two guys for the eighth and ninth, but we need somebody to get out of the jam. It's three to two, bases loaded. <sighs> Jesse Chavez. You know, exactly. <sighs> and, you know, and so – my thing is, is that as long as you have one, maybe two guys, look, you've got to start three or four in a series. I'm not saying you can only start one or two guys, but I'm saying if you have one or two effective guys, well, bullpen's safe. You have days off in between every two games. So Max Free goes six or seven innings the first game. You can throw every single pitcher in game two. doesn't matter. You're off the next day. Then game three, you try and do it all over again. Uh, and so I, I think that, and then by the by the way, by game five, Max Fried's back on the hill uh, after another day off. So I think that this can be alleviated if you're willing to absolutely lean on your bullpen, and you're right. just like, all right, I'm only guaranteeing the starter a couple innings tonight, and if it's inning three or inning four, then we're going to the bullpen. We got we we acquired. Pitchers, if you're Atlanta, we acquired pitchers at the at the deadline of relief. Someone yeah. like Pierce Johnson, someone like Brad Hand. Yeah. Like we we were on this. We we could not settle on a price for a starting pitcher, so we pivoted. We made sure that we added relief depth. If Jesse Chavez doesn't come back, or if Dylan Lee's not the same when he comes back, if Mentor continues to struggle, although he's been good in his last couple appearances since coming back, we're we're prepared for that. And so. I will say that I think the Braves' bullpen is good enough, and it is deep enough, provided that someone like Chavez or Dylan Lee can come back. I think it's deep enough to survive with only one to two good starters. I really do. I know that might seem a little bullish, 
but also you but factor in the Braves from. offense is right. awesome. Right. Like they're not having to win a bunch of two to one games in theory. No. Now I know postseason is different and, and some teams uh, do struggle game, a bit yeah. more. Sure. But uh, I don't think that they're going to have to win a slew of two to one games to be World Series champions. And so I, I think that they can get away with this to some degree as long as Freed is Freed and and uh, they can maintain his health and just get any just pick one between Strider, Morton or Elder. Just pick one to get to give you something positive. And then you're looking at, I think, enough. Um, the Strider thing's a little disappointing. It is. Because he has been kind of an all-or-nothing guy. He's the pitching equivalent of that guy where we talk about the three true outcomes for hitters or the walk, strikeout, homer. Hit 220 but banging 40 home runs like a Max Muncy or something. Right. Strider's kind of been like the pitching version of that where he is striking out millions of people. He's, he leads major leagues. He's over 200 strikeouts. He might get to 300. It's going to be close. But his ERA is in the high threes. He's given up a ton of homers. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, he he doesn't really do, do a lot. Give a lot of walks either. He's he's been pretty good at that. Uh, the other uh, the other night he did struggle and he had a few walks and that was quite surprising because again that's not something that happens often for him. But yeah, if if that if that fastball down the middle is not really you know, hitting at the velocity like he usually does. If he's not able to to get his throws into the position that he really wants to, yeah, he's giving up homers kind of left and right, it, and and so that has been the disappointing thing. Hopefully, he can figure it out because, like he said, like uh, like Tom said, the first half of the season, Strider was lights out, man. He was untouchable by everybody except the Mets, and so uh, you know, if he can get back onto the track where he was uh, earlier in the season, then. Um, the Braves will definitely be set up for some for some success. Yeah, uh, Strider is one of those guys. Yeah, you get a lot of strikeouts and nasty stuff, but it's like he runs out of gas about the fifth inning. Yeah, and then he, he can't, and, and he then can't put him past the sixth at all. Yeah, no, no you, shot. You, you, he does. He's not a guy that you feel like you're going to get a complete game out of of any sort. Um, usually by the fifth inning, I mean he'll he'll just he's just rolling through lineups, and then usually about the fifth inning. They start hitting the ball, and then if you're in there in the sixth, that's usually when you're just like, okay, it's time to time to start going a different direction here. Um, and that's just who he is. He'll pile up strikeouts through those first few innings, and then all of a sudden it's like he, he just kind of loses it. This last outing against the Pirates, he just didn't have it from the get-go. I right mean, they no. just absolutely they, blasted they, they, him. Yeah. They but jumped him. They did. They did. They jumped him. Um, and, and he's, you know – the thing is, you've heard uh, Snitker and several of his teammates say it, it was just it was just one of those games. And Strider himself said, "Yeah, it was just one of those games." But I don't want to have one of those games. I'm I'm I have to be better than that. He has a lot I, of expectations like, for sure. Himself. He does. Yeah. yeah, you know, he gets it. Yeah, it's just one of those games. But I don't want to have just one of those games. Right. I, I hold myself to a better standard than what just happened out on the field. So, I think he's going to be fine. Get some of these guys healthy. The offense is going to be there as long as everybody stays healthy. Because I, I just they they're so they're so good across the board in that lineup that they have room for Riley to go into a slump, which we saw earlier in the year. Riley was in a bad slump, yeah. and it didn't affect anything. You saw Acuna get into a, a at least a home run slump, you know, where he right. just he could not get the ball out of the park, but it still didn't you affect think, anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of these other guys, it leaves room for one of them. Now, obviously, you don't want three to go into a slump at the same time. But, I mean, if you could, if one guy goes in a slump and you've got the rest of the order that can back him up, uh, it, Azuna, 
There's another prime example. We were talking at the beginning of the season with, with Marcelo Zunum. Like, why is this dude even in the lineup? He is terrible. And he's got he, 23 homers. And now he's got 23 yeah. homers. And yeah, now he's he's been pretty clutch. So, yeah. uh, and again, and, but when he was struggling, it was like one of the worst players in Major League Baseball. And I mean, it's like, why is this dude on the roster? Hitting under 100. You know, it was awful. It still didn't affect anything because the rest of that right. lineup was so good, and so the Braves are just in such such a great position right now. Just shore up a couple and, things with the pitching, and they'll be. And perfect. the guys that have struggled at times, like Ozuna, Rosario, those are not the long term guys. Like right. Harris is the only long term guy that had a legit spell this year where he was not good, and now he's hitting in the two eighties. By the yeah, way, and might end up being one of the top five or six average guys in the league Sheesh. by the time it's over with. So, uh, like all these cornerstone players have been good really all year long uh you know like you were going through some of them but i mean again it has been very impressive the last point i wanted to make we're about to run out of time for the hour uh was you know striders i, I think his deal is he's trying to figure out right now a third pitch a third, yeah and because he's got a fastball slider he tries to throw the change up but it's not effective yet and so what happens is it's the third time through. He's a smaller guy, yet he throws 98. So it's deceptive if you're the hitter. You're not expecting this little dude, even though you know the scouting reports, it gets on you fast. There's a, it, just, it just pops out of his yeah. arm. So once you see that a time or two, then you adjust right. to it. And then once you see it, seeing is believing, they're on top of it. And so it was the stat after the Red Sox game where I think it was the seventh inning. He's actually statistically no. still great in the middle inning. Yeah, Fourth, no. fifth inning, it's, he's still awesome. You cannot get him it's past not the fifth seven. inning. Yeah. It's the seventh it's inning yeah. where he has like a 17 ERA or something like that. Fit, is it? Strider. Strider. Strider in the yeah. seventh, seventh inning, inning. Seven. is 17 inning. It's, it's like cannot high twos in the fourth, six. fifth. Yeah. And it goes up a little bit in the sixth, and it goes way up in the seventh. And so that then what always happens in the sixth and seventh inning, that's third time through. Yep. Uh, fifth inning's the back, usually back, unless you're, you're struggling, then you're starting to get third time through. But sixth and seventh inning, that's third time through. And so these guys see it twice. They adjust to it. And that, look, analytics people tell you, I don't love them, but this is where they have a point in this in this instance. They'll tell you it's not a good idea to go through a lineup a third time. Yeah. Uh, and and so that Strider is one of the proofs of that because people adjust that fastball. They, they get a they better sense it. of it. And, yep. and, yeah, then all of a sudden he's only got that slider. He doesn't have a third pitch yet. If he ever gets an effective third pitch, he's going to be dominating this league for a long time. He's going to end up with 3,000 strikeouts if he stays healthy. But he does have to learn that third pitch if he wants to be able to go seven innings into a game. We are out of time for our number one of the show. There was actually one Braves things still didn't get to so we might hit on that later some braves announcing news we'll see if we have time also coming up though a look at how the college football playoff might be affected with all this conference realignment a little bit later sports call five at five and also a preview of kentucky football you're listening to the wednesday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9 One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. 
Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Berry chopping it up, having a good time during the break uh, as we continue on with this Wednesday edition of the program. A, a celebratory yes. episode. Yeah, we should. We're all in a good, we're all in a good Should we happy. label the podcast in like all, all caps, Thunder Chickens win, even yes. though it's uh, clear this show is not about that. <laughs> It's about other things, but this is part of what we do and what we enjoy doing. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's move on a little bit. Some more Auburn basketball news today as we hit a little bit on fall camps uh, in the first hour. Second hour, though, basketball making news today, and that is a couple more schedule updates for the Tigers. Uh, Auburn now scheduling two more non-conference games. It is any day now where I expect – the full non-conference schedule to be released. We know several bits and pieces of it at this point through reporting over the last few months, through tournament obligations, that sort of thing. But the two things that were announced today that are new, December 13th, Auburn going to go play in Huntsville. They obviously do this a lot in baseball. But basketball will have the Rocket City Classic in Huntsville, the Von Braun Center, and they'll play UNC Asheville. Uh, so UNC Asheville. Wish we could talk to JJ Asheville. a little bit about that. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard of that yeah. town. Yeah, Asheville, uh, North Carolina. Uh, so UNCA, December the 13th is the date on that in Huntsville for that neutral site game. And then also Auburn uh, getting their opponent for the 2023 Legends Classic. They will have two games, but the 2023 Legends Classic at the Barclays Center, home of the Brooklyn Nets. They will play Notre Dame. To start off with, and then they would play, depending on who wins, who loses, they will play either Oklahoma State or St. Bonaventure. So getting the most prestigious of the three programs, I, I have no idea how the three will shake out from a success standpoint 2023-24 season, but uh, Notre Dame has struggled a lot the last couple of years as Mike Bray was on his way out. But Auburn and Notre Dame match up in the Barkley Center. So, Again, guys, we know some of the most notable stuff. If we were to run through the whole list, we might even be able to come up with really about all the non-conference schedule. We know there's a holiday hoops giving in Atlanta against Indiana. We know the ACC-SEC challenge, which we talked about, which is kind of funky, but got Virginia Tech. Uh, we Ooh. know there's the USC game there in, in, in Neville Arena. We know about a Baylor game in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yeah. Because why, why not? Uh, so we know a lot of the the intricacies to the schedule, but uh, UNCA being added for a neutral site. And, uh, again, the 
first game of the Legends Classic, they are playing Notre Dame today. Yeah. The, not, they're not playing them today, to be clear. They're right playing now. Them, playing them in the fall or in the winter. Yeah, some of these non-conference games will definitely be fun. That Baylor game in, uh, in Sweet Falls will, will definitely be interesting because Baylor is one of the uh, top teams in the Big 12, um, and they've, always, they've been good, very, very good the last few years. So um, that, that'll be definitely a, t- a challenge for, for Auburn. Going against Virginia Tech uh, for the ACC-SEC Challenge, obviously we've had um, our discussions about that, and, and uh, I think a lot of Auburn fans will agree as well that that wasn't exactly the matchup that we were expecting. Virginia Tech um, would have been um, happier with uh, the other school in Virginia, um, Virginia, and uh, to, to have faced them a, a rematch of the 2019 Final Four um, has some history there, so that that definitely would have been an interesting one. Uh, facing off against Indiana and in Atlanta, um, I bet I'm. Uh, it's kind of it's supposed to be quote unquote neutral site, but you'll definitely see a, a lot more Auburn fans than you will Indiana fans. It'll probably sound just like Neville Arena. Just, I mean, I'm sure it'll be similar to um, I think it was last year or two years ago um when Auburn was playing in Atlanta and uh they were playing Syracuse and and it was really loud in there for for Auburn and um got that game you know Jabari got all fired up and got a tech and all those so that I'm sure it was a different tournament was it but it was in Atlanta was it not uh I'll double check on that uh I will double check on that but I did not recall that being the case but one we will Um, do investigative journalism and then playing against UNC Asheville up in Huntsville again another solid following where you'll be able to uh see some Auburn fans that might not be able to get down here um to to get into Neville Arena to see the game but they'll be able to at the very least um watch their watch their team play uh, a kind of smaller school um, up there in Huntsville, and you'll have a, a pretty solid following. What, yeah, that Syracuse find? game was in the Bahamas. It was in the Bahamas? Where yeah, was that? that was a tournament. Uh, was they, it another played, orange school then? I couldn't. I, they also played Loyola Chicago. That's when they had the crazy double OT game to UConn. And the first yeah. game of that was a three-game sequence there. Holiday Hoops giving that year was Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah, My bad. Yep. So there it was. That's exa- Okay. Yeah. Nebraska. Um, but yeah, so it should be a good, uh, a good solid non-conference schedule. And then, you know, you have the US, uh, USC and then I don't know, do, I think we also as well have Washington on the schedule, uh, cause we did go to them. I think they're supposed to come to, come to Auburn this year. If I remember correctly, uh, how that was supposed to play out, but the obvious biggest, most exciting one will be USC. I think, um, with, with the potential of, of Bronny James coming here and, um, that that's a lot of a lot of eyes that will be on this game because of who who um, you know Bronny is and and who his dad is and um, the potential of if there's we Ryan and I have kind of <coughs> speculated that you know what if there's a chance that LeBron could be on the East Coast on a um, on a on an away stint out here so what's the chances maybe we'll see LeBron in Neville Arena that would be crazy um if he were to to show up here to, has, to watch his son play has he has Bronny been cleared back to play there's that as well after um, the whole medical it's, episode it's unsure um <clears throat> I I would think that he would be cleared by then we'll we'll at least know something about about that um you know as the season comes closer what the expectation is for him but it seems like he's doing well uh, obviously kind of got to go through some things when you have to deal with some hard stuff uh, of course um to make sure that it doesn't happen again 
but yeah, I would I would expect to know how that's going to play out in the next, you know, next month, month and a half or so as the season gets closer, as basketball season gets closer. Um, they'll, there will definitely be some more conversations and definitely in November we'll, we'll know uh, how involved in, in full playing he's going to be. Um, so yeah, this non-conference schedule for Auburn should be a decent challenge. And then you get into the, into the um, regular SEC play and that's always tough as, as the SEC has kind of stepped up their game as of late uh, in terms of competition. So uh, basketball season will, will is, is getting closer. Obviously football is the focal point, but basketball is another exciting uh, season that Auburn fans will be able to look forward to. Uh, another thing with basketball that uh, Auburn fans need to keep an eye on is potential for Saturday with uh, Florida Bedunga. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know that confidence is high that he's coming to Auburn, yeah. but Auburn is in his finalist with, yeah, with oh, Duke yeah. and uh, Kansas, Duke, Kansas, and Michigan. Yep. Duke, Kansas, Michigan, Auburn. Yeah, and Florida Bedunga, a five-star center who w- I think would be the highest-rated player ever to come to Auburn, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's top five recruits. Would make yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, Auburn is in the mix, and yeah. I think a lot of people. So I think a lot of people have just assumed he's going to Duke. He apparently was a Duke lock as of, you know, until this week, it seems right. like. Well, and so and the reason I say I'm kind of now my my ears kind of perked up because I don't know what's being talked about in the Duke realm. Maybe our guy JJ knows since he does the locked on Duke basketball, but there's already chatter going around in the yeah. world of Duke that Auburn they're basically accusing Auburn of cheating. Yeah, it, it's already the barn, barn, the barn's cheating, Paul. <laughs> barn cheating. So I don't know if Duke, the Which Duke is real, so has, rich from Duke University. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, knew you were going to chime in. I mean, come on. Right? Just. I mean, I mean, goodness gracious. <laughs> that. Uh, I mean, they're. I mean, here's Zion. Here's yeah. this five hundred thousand dollar apparel deal. Huh? I was going to say. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of. Think around just Zion alone, and not much less a lot of the other guys there. But, but yeah, in that Duke realm, I've seen some chatter that is already talking about Auburn is just throwing loads of money at these guys, and so it makes me wonder if they've heard something or if they feel some way. I don't know what's going to happen. My confidence is not high with Flory, but keep an eye on it. Saturday, yeah. he, he's suppo- he is supposed yeah. to be making his his final commitment yes. on Saturday. Yep. And Auburn is one of his finalists, and if he does come to Auburn again, I think he would be the highest-rated player ever to come to Auburn. I, I would just be—I'll just tell you up front—I'll be floored yeah. if he if he doesn't go to Duke. I'll be floored absolutely if floored. Doesn't come. I have. <laughs> I will. Uh, uh, I, I think that uh, anytime Duke's in a real battle, somebody they win it. Right in basketball, it is they always win it and. But they don't clear, have Shashevsky anymore, so sure. maybe, maybe. Well, but Shire has Shire. number one class. Yeah, well, Shire can uh, it's it's still. it's Duke, it's 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 Duke basketball. Uh, and you know, I look. This is not me accusing them of doing something that others don't do. Oh yeah, they all do it. Sure, but anytime a fan from particularly one of the top recruiting teams starts to try to point cheating fingers around. <laughs> Then that that just is always going to be a a non-starter for me uh, because that is just rich, unbelievable uh, that that you would be have that lack of, of self awareness. So uh, Duke has has been doing plenty for players, and 
there was something with I, I joked about Zion, and then it occurred to me there was some sort of story about Zion. Oh no, there uh, absolutely yeah. was. Uh, there yeah. absolutely was. Uh, that was me. Just I just picked him out of a, all the five stars they've gotten in the last X amount of years. But um, again, Duke's one of those that they can do whatever. And so again, if they're that, I saw that too, Tom. Uh, it was from the Devil's Den or whatever. Yeah, and, uh, one of their I sites saw that as and. Well. Again, that that does make you make your eyebrow raise. And again, they didn't single out Kansas or or, or Michigan; they singled out Auburn. Auburn. <laughs> uh, so we'll see if that ends up being something that is the first actual spark there. Because I had heard for a while that it was a strong Duke link. I went on the on three yeah. profile; it's an eighty-two percent chance to Duke, four and a half to Michigan, actually three to Florida. But I don't think they were in the final four they there. Weren't. And then Auburn, the two and a half percent. So. Auburn was on the list, but Duke at over eighty percent. Again, these things can can change moment to moment, and uh, not necessarily gospel, but uh, yeah, that is going to be something important. Uh, and also, Flore was was important to Bruce Pearl because many felt that the Peyton Marshall decommitment had something to do with maybe Bedunga in in particular. At least Auburn making a bigger target. And right. priority out of yes. someone at the same position, and and the the all the signs pouring to Florida Bedunga. So, I will say that if Auburn ends up not ever getting either Bedunga or someone rated around the level of Peyton Marshall, it's gonna that's gonna end up being that's a, a disappointing look. development, yeah, right? Uh, because obviously Janiah Broom will be gone after this year. I don't, I don't see him. Yeah, I don't see him staying staying another year. Um, if so, then it went really wrong for him this year, and so. I, I think that they will absolutely have to have a center in 2024-25. And if Peyton Marshall was a top 100 or so player, the commits, the thought is you're trying to get someone better. And so if you keep if you miss, then looks like you got caught with the hand in the cookie jar a little bit, so to speak. But that Flory Bedunga one will be big. big. So Auburn basketball with a little bit of news today and, and this week. And, again, once we – Get the entire non-conference schedule. We can actually flesh it out. We'll definitely let you know. It might be a five at five at some point, too. We're going to take our first time out here of the second hour of the show. When we come back, we'll give you the new angle or the next angle. It's not, it's not new necessarily. It's all kind of new in a way. We'll give you the next angle of conference realignment, and that is what happens to the college football playoff. Will it stay at 12? Will it somehow be a different number? What does the commissioner of the SEC think, amongst other things? How would the playoff work if the Pac-12 just doesn't exist at all in any capacity? We'll talk a little bit about that next. want to call into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm let's get back to sports call on tiger 95.9 feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9 
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Barry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday edition of the show. Coming up a little bit later, Sports Call 5 at 5, and a little bit of a different 5 at 5. Uh, involves some streaming content, but it's good streaming content, and it is sports-related, I promise. And then Kentucky football preview coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. For now, though, back to my favorite topic of the last month, and that is conference realignment, at least my favorite in terms of volume on this show and talking about it with friends and just anyone that cares about sports and collegiate sports in particular. We've talked at length about the Pac-12 side of things. We don't really need to discuss that side of it either any longer, at least not what it was because there's only four left. We don't really need to discuss the ACC much more until there's movement with Cal or Stanford or SMU. Uh, We could mention SMU for a moment. But the angle I want to approach today is about the college football playoff because that's the next logical step. Yesterday I referenced briefly on our sister station, FM Talk 93.9, the home of the Paul Feinbaum show in East Alabama. Commissioner Greg Sankey of the SEC was on. He was on for an extended period of time. He came on about 4.30, and he left about 5.15. I I went back and listened to the podcast. And they did take two breaks as scheduled, but, I mean, it was a good 30 to 40-minute interview uh, in totality with Commissioner Sankey. Really good stuff. And, of course, Sankey was a part of the committee that helped to find the solutions to building a bigger playoff. And Commissioner Sankey was asked by Paul Feinbaum about it. And, look, I think that the preference from Sankey is clear to stay at 12 even with the death of the Pac-12, even if it is just not even a conference at all. Because it, it goes into, mul- you know, and he talked about wanting to see exactly where this finishes. We need to finish this round. This round, it's not technically over. Not right. till we know what's going on with Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State. If we're adding and subtracting from the AAC or the Mountain West, if, if the Pac-12 doesn't exist anymore, we need to know the particulars before they move forward. Wait till the dust settles. Right. The Pac-12's days as a power conference are over, but it does matter if it still operates and we have 10 conferences or we if we have nine. I mean, all this is part of the math because in the 12-team playoff, there is going to be six automatic qualifiers from conferences. There's going to be six that are the best of the rest. If you're down to nine conferences, you're guaranteeing two-thirds of the conferences a spot. And you try to think about where the line is because under this new landscape, let's say Cal and Stanford, let's say they go to the ACC. Unbelievable. That's not the Atlantic Coast. Right. Let's say they do it. So then that prompts Oregon State and Washington State, unfortunately for them, to say, fine, we'll go to the Mountain West. It's the most geographically responsible. We can't afford to fly to the AAC teams in Florida and and Alabama with UAB, et cetera. We can't can't get over this way. We're just going to keep it regional. Huge pay cut. We'll figure it out. At least travel's not bad. At least we're not destroying our student-athletes. And so – then the Pac-12 just does not exist. It is just absolutely not in existence any longer. So okay. that's how you get down to nine. So if that were to play out that way, Cal and Stanford, the ACC, Oregon State, Washington State, to the Mountain West, do you need to have 
six automatic qualifiers anymore? Would you simply go down the five, so a power four, an autonomous four, plus another, or would you keep it at six? What are your thoughts? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to throw out a, 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 a actual different thought. Just or throw me a different yeah, thought. Yeah, just so, so yes. So maintain the six. Yes, maintain the six automatic. Um, I guess what were because the six automatic were what the it was the pack. No, there's no conference affiliation. No to conference them. It is affili- the six okay. highest ranked conference champions. That that is that is the language. It is not okay. a guarantee. There are certain guarantees because we know that the SEC, the Big Ten, Big Twelve, uh, to some degree the ACC, they're all going to have higher ranked teams than these smaller conferences. Right, right. So it has been it has been framed that way just because we couldn't fathom two group of five. Conference conferences spitting out a higher ranked conference champ than, right, right. than the ACC or the Pac-12, but in its actual language, it is simply the six highest okay. ranked power or six highest ranked conference champions. Okay, so then I'm going to change what I was going to say. Okay. Then because since that has nothing to do with it, so then yes, I would I would drop it. I would drop it to to mm, yeah. I would drop five. It to five yeah, um, and do do five automatic and then do the best of the rest with that. Um, since we've lost a, a conference, you lose an automatic bid, um, and and just have five, you know, and seven with the best of the rest, and and see how everything p- uh, plays out. I think that would be the best way to move forward, um, for at least the time being, and then see how that works, see how that plays out. If one certain conference, which I think we can all think that the SEC might continue to kind of dominate how this you know, ends up playing out, which we'll see. There's no guarantee in that because obviously the Big Ten has might have something to say as well, um, as well as maybe the Big 12 as we see. Um, but but that, that I think, is the best way to see how things would play out is just drop a, an automatic bid for now and see how that, that makes everything work. Tom, does that seem like the simplest way to you, just to drop one of the AQs, put it down to five and allow seven, or is there something more involved that you're thinking about uh, no, I, i'm definitely not thinking of anything more involved because i can i have more involved things oh you've got more involved. i have things. more items see i'm one of those keep it simple stupid and sure just go down one yeah. we lost a conference so go down one yep or we lost an important right. question we didn't lose the whack rest right. in peace although it still exists in basketball we didn't lose the whack we didn't yeah. lose the sun belt or something just because you don't want to overcomplicate it right now because there's already so many moving right. pieces the argument to it, though, and look, I'd have to study into what the TV agreements say because that is a part of it. And if the agreement for a specific financial number to the playoff, to the teams from the TV deal is for a 12-team playoff, is for a certain structure, then it will have to stay that way because of the contract unless the other side, the TV networks, are willing to change that side of things. So that's why it can't get too crazy. But let me present some other thoughts that would that would logically follow. I would you go back down to eight? Would you say that there are now since it's not going to be an even number of conference champions? Do we need to have? And I, I'm, I'm just I'm throwing all these options out. Yeah. I'm not I'm not picking a side right, right now. Right. One moment. You're just spitballing. But I'm giving you the other the other options on the table. Would you go down to eight and say either? 
no, we're no longer interested in a group of five being automatically qualified. We go four and four. We keep it even numbers. Or we have the five, but we're just not needing to go so many non-conference championship participants, so we go five and three. We have beautiful round numbers. Now, the problem is, there, which of which there are several, I'm just, again, going through them, pros and cons. Again, a pro you feel is would be, okay, we're not getting too far into the – the expanse here where we're, we shouldn't have too many teams that don't belong there or too many teams that we feel are clearly not the best. Probably not going to be right. champions. Right. right. Um, that is a, a pro. The, the negatives are, I think, many. One, there's this inherent perception of the genie trying to be put back in the bottle where, well, you promised us 12, and you promised us more content. How do we go back down to a smaller number when we don't even know how they'll work yet? Yeah, that's how a whole other negotiation. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a perception piece, but that's not necessarily even the most important thing. There's others involved where we had this beautiful system for how we were going to have some campus games, get to the playoff, get to the bowl games. So are we just back to not having any campus games? Okay. That's what I was thinking as you, know? you were proposing it. Yeah. So you're just going to rotate between seven bowl sites, basically. Four for the round of eight, two for the round of four, one for the title game. All right. That's that's not a horrible solution. I've, I guess I've thought of it on the fly there. We can get around that. Um, how do you make – if you have five and three, are you just are, – are you mandating that the – I guess it doesn't really matter seating-wise anymore, but, like, do the conference – Champions have to be seated higher than the non-conference champions. Um, and again, it goes back into, okay, do you want four? Do you want five? The other problem, I think this is the biggest problem, and I have not heard this presented. I cooked this up. Maybe it doesn't hold any, any weight. Here's the problem I thought of. If you're going down to three or four non-conference champions, going into the playoff. Aren't we getting close to the problem we had with four where there's a, t- a couple bad luck teams that very yeah. well may be better than teams that are in the playoffs yes. that didn't get in? Yes. And are we close enough to that actually mattering? Because, again, many will tell you, based off a of resume, b- based off of how the selection is supposed to play out, yeah, Alabama should not have been in last year. But on the field, as people have pointed out, are you really going to sit there and say they couldn't beat TCU? Right. Or then they really couldn't play the same quality of game with Ohio State or something like that or or beat Michigan. beat the, beat uh, Michigan. Right. Right. It and so my, my my point is is that there is a certain point where that stops mattering. Once we get down the line a little bit, who cares? This team had three or four losses. It don't matter. They might have a nice ceiling, but they mess up way too much. I don't care about them anymore. But there's still a level, and I think this gets increased. There's a level where there's a seed of doubt, and that's what we're trying to do with the bigger playoff. Remove all doubt. Right. Make sure there is zero possibility we left someone out that really should have been competing for a title. And when we get these bigger pl- uh, conferences – it could create more uncertainty because these leagues are too big. Right. And it's very possible that you end up, if, if you have an 18 model and you're only letting three, you keep the five 
for the top five conference teams, and you'll have three at large. It's very possible that there's going to be a 10-2 and two team that lost to the conference champion and lost to another at-large team by a total of four to seven points, 10 points total, that's not going to be in the champion. It's not going to be in the playoffs. Right. And why do we have to act that way? Why, why do we have to say that a, a, a team that lost by a field goal twice in the best league in America all of a sudden is not playing for a title? What, what again, because we, we did that for in the 1900s? Right. Because we didn't have a title game until 1998 or 99, whenever the BCS started? Like Just because it was that way for a long time doesn't mean it should be that way. And I'm not saying we, again, this is going to sound like I'm then trying to open up to millions of teams. No, I still think there are limits. You have to have some sort of rules and limitations. But once we get these bigger conferences, the amount of uncertainty with all those Gross. big programs playing each other together... It grows. It, it, it grows. Yeah. And so I don't think you can go that down to a lesser number Mm-mm. because you would then be allowing only a couple of teams, three teams <laughs> in particular, in at large. And there's going to be at least two really worthwhile leagues in the SEC and the Big Ten that should have probably three participants at least, go just right. about every year going into in the SEC almost four some years. And so... Anyway, I, that's the biggest problem in my mind. Now, some will not see that as a huge problem. Some, again, that are already inherently against an expanded playoff will be like, I, I mean, like I'm still pretty confident that a team that's lost twice shouldn't play for the title. And then I present to you LSU, and then we're off at a standoff. Yeah. Uh, the the, the uh, Matt Flynn LSU team. Whatever. You know, I mean, just it is going to be – there's always going to be bickering here, right, in this right. space. But I'm just trying to think of – the solution that is clean, that does not completely revolt against what we had already decided on. So I think that the five and seven makes sense. Now, again, there is some seeding issues there because then there's going to be one conference champion that's not hosting right. instead of two. And the, di- the numbers are always different when you leave out one right. versus you leave, out, leave yeah. out a few. You know, I just, I don't. I mean, I just think five and seven. Because also, right. if you go down to four, then it's like, well, all of a sudden, you've now disqualified the Mountain West. You might actually have a couple former Power Five teams in it. Right. And it's had Boise State, who is a legit program. They may not be in a legit Great conference. Point. They're yeah. a legit program. Right. Um, And, and then, you, it, again, it gets back into, well, we're, we've now only we've, – we've made damn sure only four conferences matter. Right. And we leave no room for error in that assessment. And maybe there is almost no room for error in that assessment. But, again, what are we doing trying to actively shut off half the teams in right. the country? What, why, why do we have to do that? We're pretty sure of it. Are we so scared that on accident one of those teams might win one day? It's very unlikely. It'll probably take decades for it to actually happen. But, wh- but, but why, why do we have to act like just, it's, not, it's not possible? Right. So It's sports. Anything's yeah, it possible. Is. Anything's possible. It's why we do it. It's why we love it. So have you seen the idea that Chip Kelly proposed with, I've not. with football? So, th- so this is interesting. So he said, what if we did away with conferences entirely with football? Everything follow the follow the blueprint that, that Notre Dame has where everybody in football is independent. Build your schedule however you want to build it, whatever. Maintain your rivalries. Cool. All right. Make your schedule. Play the play the set amount of games. No conference champion. 
did away with conferences completely in just football, maintain everything in every other sport, that's fine because it works in every other sport. But with football, as we can see, this entity is is starting to every everything that's going on has been college football driven. Maintain and have your 12 best teams built through schedule, whatever, however that goes. Your 12 best teams at the end of the season, that's in your college football playoff. How how do you think how do you think that would sound? I, I mean, I, I don't like that idea. I don't. I don't either. And that, that I'm just, just curious. Yeah, I, I. So, first of all, I don't like that idea. Second of all, that's just damn impossible to do. Because why is it impossible? Well, because I mean, who? Okay, well, so who's going to be making the schedule? All the teams. All the teams. Okay, right. But I mean, what are the parameters on your schedule? I mean, are you still? Making your schedules, and you said keep the rivalries. Okay, so Auburn keeps Alabama and Georgia. Um, so then, who do they? I mean, where do you go from there? It's entirely up to you, right? Well, I mean, would it not be the it, problem? It, is well, know, the ambiguity they, I mean, in that, right. and like we're going to be using so many perceptions of teams again because then we're going to be bickering about who people actually scheduled, right? And because if you're okay, if you're Ohio State. You want to play Michigan. You want to find one or two of other rivals in the Big Ten. Why are you incentivized to play any other tough games? Your name exactly. is Ohio State. If you beat Michigan, our perception of Michigan is always one way. They're gonna you're gonna ride that, and then people yeah. are going to be upset that they played two big games. And also, I think part of it is is you are already guaranteed a certain amount of big games. You're in tr- you're trusting these teams to actually go out and schedule. A, a, a schedule that would be comparable or somewhere near the schedules they have now because Anthony calls in about this all the time. Like, if, if Auburn's schedule was was their rivals, if it was Alabama, Georgia, LSU, throwback to Florida, maybe a Mississippi school, and then a bunch of Sunbelt teams, are you good with that? Is that no. entertaining to you? See, I so you think that teams would lean – that they would try to schedule as easy as possible. Yes, I think yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, yeah. I, no, absolutely. I, I if you had an opposite. elective in college and it didn't matter to you, like it wasn't going to help you in your major, it was just a pure elective was required. It was early on college. Were you taking something you felt you could be good at? But the, something you could get a good grade at? Sure. Or were you th- or trying to challenge yourself in the most difficult way possible? For sure. Some challenge themselves, but most no. Take the easier road, and, and the other. But I th- think at the end of the day, the other, if you're looking the, at this committee. The, the, the other thing, though, you have to take into consideration is, okay, so you make your own schedule. That's great. Well, the, the who you make your schedule against, they have to agree to play you. So right now, Georgia being what Georgia is, who in their right mind, unless you are just mandated by a conference to play them, who in their right mind is going to go? Yes, let's go play Georgia, and only, and not only that. You know what? We'll come and play at Georgia in front of that. You know, heck, why, go ahead and make it a night game. Let's go to Sanford Stadium at night and play Georgia. No way, no team in their right mind is going to voluntarily None do that. Playoff aspirations. And, and then, and then None the other them. thing is, you when you get when you start talking about your teams that are out on the West Coast, the teams from the East are not going to want to make multiple trips out there. I mean, Auburn going to Cal is a a once sure. in a blue moon sure. type thing. Nobody's going to want to keep doing that, and and vice versa. I don't know how many of those. I I think the West Coast teams would be more likely to come over here because that's better TV time and TV revenue. But they're not going to play every single one of their games on the road. You're going to be hard pressed to find somebody that wants to go out and play Oregon State. Yeah, 
I mean, anybody I, that's worth their salt is not going to want to go all the way out to to play the Beavers. Nobody worth their salt is going to want to go all the way out there to play Arizona right. or whoever. So it will end up just, being kind of regional. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. I think it, it would end up being kind of regional, and that. But then why we? Why don't we just have conferences? But then why yeah. I have a conference? I mean, because that's that, fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but then you can still. I don't know. I I I I think you guys you guys do lean that way. I kind of am thinking. Well, maybe they will want to challenge themselves because then you're this committee is looking at they're looking at strength of schedule, right? So then, if you can put together a tough schedule. If you can put together something that is still challenging, you're winning games, then it's not you're not still stuck to the the confines of what a conference is. Maybe that I just I think know. it becomes so unclear where and and so many people you're you're allowing unnecessary arguments. Like right now we get stuck on one or two teams trying to get in a playoff. Uh, that we felt may have deserved it, and most years, honestly, we've known the four. Right, and 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 when we get to twelve, there'll be a bickering between twelve and thirteen, that sort of thing. When you, but we, but we have a good structure of what we're dealing with, and it kind of goes boom, boom, boom down the line. When it's just all every all chaos, all everything. How do we even have a starting place to rank these teams? Because like in the professional leagues, when they're in more of a, you know, what just kind of an overall part of things there are standings right but there's no rankings like we do our cute little power rankings on twitter like here's top <laughs> 10 teams in the nba right now or top 10 nfl teams blah 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 but they don't rank those teams there's only 30 or 32 to rank we could easily rank them feel like right. we could rank them all but because you're doing everything around the league you don't need to do it that way you do it based off of standings and so standings have always been a very clear parameter of of being able to assess who moves on to like this next sort of thing. But if we're not playing, if we don't have any structure to that, and everyone can do whatever the hell they want, what do those standings mean anymore? Because then we're trying to decipher off these metrics or opinions of all these teams with, without frame of reference. And so we're just like, well, here's eight, ten, and two teams to cipher through. And two of them played five former Conference USA teams, and one played like three power five past teams that are four and eight this year and i i forget like you lose a point of reference to a right and in some ways like someone could be excited about that because you just it's just it's all new it's all everything (laughs) but it would make for in very for a lot of arguments that we really just don't need to have because we'd be arguing everyone like there might be one or two teams like alabama or georgia dominate a bunch of teams fine but then, how do you even have a point of reference for like a a, a, t- a ten and two or eleven and one Pac twelve team anymore? Or how do you have a point of reference for these teams that play six or seven games that were not previously P five? Right. You know, but that take advantage because these, <laughs> in the same way people talk about these institutions and these schools for taking the money, like it all comes down to money. Well, then at the next level, it's all going to come down to how can we get the playoff and how can we win our games. And they will try to find the easiest solution that maybe they'll warm up to it needs to be a tough strength of schedule. But then what is a tough strength of schedule? Because if everyone's playing only five or six worthwhile games or, or four or five power five teams, however you want to quantify that, then isn't everyone playing less important games? It's like it's, it's more balanced, I guess, right. but then there's less great matchups if it's balanced. I don't know. I just 
that, I mean, the, that the, seems the only, too wild. To the, me. I, that, the, that, on, the only way that you make that work in that scenario is, you know, you keep, let's just say, you know, every year you keep your two rivalry games. So yeah. just in Auburn's case, each year you know you're going to play Georgia and you're going to play Alabama, and and then the rest of the schedule. And so obviously, at you'll Alabama would have Auburn and Tennessee, Georgia would have uh, Florida and Auburn, vice versa, or whatever. The only other way that you make that work is then you put every team in a hat and you just start picking a name and you're like Auburn versus Buffalo. Buffalo. <laughs> right. You know, oh, and then Auburn versus Ohio State. Boom. Yeah. Power Auburn by matchup. versus <laughs> – and then yeah. it's just random chance. And then it's just, and sure, if you want to do that, you you know you may um, it's like the lottery. You may end up with a, just a incredibly difficult schedule. You may end up with a, you may end up with a, a a cupcake schedule. But it's by chance, so you can't sit there and go, oh, you chose your schedule. No, the lottery and the chance chose my schedule. I'm sorry, it was. You know, yes, I know. I, I start with North Texas, UL Monroe. Yeah, I, and I'm, Arkansas I'm sorry. State. Eight of my eight of my teams are non-power, but that's the way it went. And guess right. what? I'm undefeated. Yeah. Again, I just. But no, that's it's just that's that's, a, that's not, a non-starter. No. I appreciate Chip Kelly for having. That's an, an idiot take. <laughs> I, well, no, I appreciate. I welcome all opinions. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just I, I can't fly with no. that one. I can't. No, nope. um, you know Leach, rest in peace. Always wanted the sixty-four team playoff, which again, <laughs> as much as as much as I love the basketball tournament, these are separate sports. We're not doing that either. Uh, if I have, my, I know some out there think I don't have my limits because I'm. I say many times I'm a consumer. I consume things and I love sports, so I consume a lot of sports. Uh, there are still limits, though. He's not an anarchist, people. Uh, I do not think that twenty teams out of thirty should be making a run to the NBA playoffs. For the record, that, that is that is one part of that. I think that sixteen was plenty. I think we've hit a mark. I actually um, don't want to get baseball any any bigger. No, yeah. I, I'm I, I'm good with that. And there will be a limit. I think my limit will be twelve. Maybe it goes up to sixteen in football, but somewhere around there is going to be my limit because I also understand that. What's the point of having forty nine to three in the first round for all these games? Eh, there's really not much point to that. Still need some level of competitiveness, right? Some sort of uh, deserving to be there, some sort of credential. You beat somebody great. Um, so I still have my limitations there too. But this playoff thing, it's just interesting because you can also argue like if you wanted to scrap something and do something a little bit more rash or something, you now's the time to do it because. Once that starts and once we get that frame of reference for what, how a 12-team playoff operates, then we would only be wanting to tweak probably Yeah, uh, because we've made a pretty big swing and adjustment here. We went from 4 to 12. That's a pretty big swing after years of 2 um, since the BCS Yeah, they started. didn't even grow. They went. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I'm thinking – so if you look at it that way, uh, they felt a big change was required, big change was made. Once it starts in 2024, I doubt we see another drastic change unless something's going horribly wrong about it. But uh, I think that 
I think that if you you do need to think something because if that Pac-12 does not exist in 2024 at all, then I mean the numbers are changed, and right. so you you kind of have to adjust your credentials for qualifying. You don't have to be radical and change the number, or you don't have to change a lot of things. But um, depending on what happens with with Cal, Stanford, and Washington State, Oregon State, you're going to have to take a look at that. Uh, just a few seconds left here in the hour. Uh, also did want to mention this really briefly. SMU, can't we talk about it, but was reading some stuff today on how bad SMU wants to go to the ACC. They were willing to go. They're willing to go for free. What? And they Not only are they not asking for a full share, they're not asking for any share for the first few years. What? And they're trying to get their – Big boosters and donors uh, to, to pay for it, basically. Interesting. Uh, the same way you'd get a booster or donor to pay for a buyout of coach that you, you canned. SMU's trying the, at all costs to get the ACC. No. Wow. I, I don't know what my angle – I don't know if I, if I applaud the desperation, if that's too desperate, if I'm – that's a net positive or negative. I don't know. Do with that information as you will. But uh, SMU – Really, really trying to get into the Atlantic Coast Conference as they also observe uh, the the desire to try to bring in Cal and Stanford. We are out of time for hour number two. Coming up in hour number three, a sports call five at five uh, presented by Southeastern Land Group and a preview of Kentucky football here coming up this year. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday afternoon. Celebratory Wednesday afternoon. Celebratory Wednesday, not a wacky Wednesday, a winning Wednesday. Winning Wednesday, I like it. After a nice. Thunder Chickens dub last the night. first ever winning Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Well. Not not including, yeah, the first ever real one. We had a fake one whenever we had that uh, forfeit. I don't even victory. think about that one. I still can't like it goes in the record book. Yeah, like that's technically our second ever win. win, but it's the I first win. like win that meant something. It was the first real one out on the field. 
Uh, so absolutely a winning Wednesday today. Coming up right now, time for the Sports Call 5 at 5. It's presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them at selandgroup.com. All right, today's 5 at 5. We're going to look at five streaming sports documentaries coming out or have just come out or are in the process of coming out in the coming weeks. Uh, that might be of interest to everybody. So let's start it out now. Number one. Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Number one. This one came out, I believe, yesterday. It's Untold uh, Johnny Football. So the Johnny Manziel documentary. It's available on Netflix, for those wondering. Gotta watch it. Um, already saw some comments out on Twitter today. Not comments, some videos, some clips. Pretty wild stuff from that Manziel documentary. Uh, spoiler alert to the listener that is familiar with John Football from his days at Texas A&M. <sighs> he was a partier. He didn't yeah. care enough about football. It's kind of sad. He was incredibly fun to watch at A&M, and yet uh, he um, would. Uh, what's the What's he, the one making the rounds? He uh, had the fourth string quarterback do the uh, do yeah, the drug, drug test tests. for him. That one. At A&M. <laughs> and he never uh, watched film it, as an NFL quarterback. Zero minutes. I, zero minutes. I, I saw something where uh, like his dad was going to try to fake a heart attack. Yeah, so that's that, along the lines of the, for the combine the drug test. The combine drug yeah. test. His dad was going to try to fake a heart attack so that he could skip the drug test part yep. of that. Like, Fly geez. him up there for a day, do the, do the drills, and then not have to do the drug test. Uh, pretty unbelievable what stuff. What a lifestyle, though. Yeah. I mean. <sighs> well, and it was intoxicating. It was. It's for got him. <laughs> and no, Literally. Nope. I mean, pun intended pun there. Pun intended, be, yeah. and, and therefore, he did not become. I, I Man, he was so fun. It, when you're piecing this together, it makes you feel like there maybe there was a chance he would have worked out in the NFL if he actually put his head down work and oh, yeah, I'm sure. didn't fall in love with the lifestyle type of thing. But he was already in love with the wild lifestyle at Texas A&M. So, uh, he never had a great chance, but uh, that documentary now available on Netflix. Again, it's Untold Johnny Football. Number it. two. Next up is BS High. This is about Bishop Sycamore. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is going to be available that. August 23rd on HBO. So two weeks from today on HBO BS High. Um, we we understand what BS stands for again. Bishop Sycamore, <laughs> yes, as well. I, I think that uh, this one's going to be interesting too. I, I won't have ac- uh, access to this one. Um, I still am the main streamer guy. I only have Netflix and Hulu basically, um, and Tubi. But Tubi's free for everybody. But this one be on HBO. I still I, – I would want to hear some of just how this happened. Like, how did you get duped into a fake high school? All right. How did you cook up this idea? What did you do to execute it? And how did someone actually say, wow, this looks legit? Maybe maybe they didn't. Maybe they just didn't care. Maybe there was no vetting process whatsoever. Yeah, I I'll bet be, they just preyed on desperation. Yeah, 
I'll be very interested to hear some of the behind the scenes of that once that starts to come out. Well, I mean, some of the stuff leaked after that uh, after that whole game against IMG. Yeah, it, a lot of the little inside things start about how they <laughs> Those were are grown men. They were well that, but I mean, they were like sleeping on floors and not yeah. eating, and yeah. I mean, just all sorts of crazy little things were leaking out. But now yeah. you get the full documentary. Yeah, it's like, all together. Let's see. I can't wait. Number three. Number three is another Untold. It's a series on Netflix. They're releasing one a week. And it's Untold Swamp Kings. This comes out on August 23rd as well. So two weeks. And it's on Netflix. Again, same series as the Johnny Football documentary. This one is about the University of Florida under Urban Meyer. And uh, again, spoiler alert, it's not to just praise Tim Tebow. Uh, it is It is about when uh, Aaron Hernandez was there. Some other guys that got trouble in trouble with the law, Man, that team and was... the kind of the rampant locker room problems going on at Florida in the time of Urban Meyer. So I I don't know enough details of that. I mean, you're, oh, me you're right, either. Tom. There were details about Bishop Sycamore, which are recent. And I'm sure there's already details out there about Florida, just because it was so long ago. But I, I certainly don't remember them at this yeah. point. Um, I mean, there's there's things that have come out about Urban Meyer um, at some of his other stops along his coaching journey, and I'm sure some of that is also with Florida, uh, that apparently he was just a grade-A yeah. blank hole. Yep. Gotcha. And, yeah, and, got it. Yeah. And was yeah. – uh, uh, he, he led through fear instead of respect and just was a grade-A you-know-what. Makes sense why it didn't work out in Jacksonville. Yeah. Because if that's his coaching style, it doesn't that fly works. in the NFL. Yeah, I was gonna say that works in college. That oh, yeah. does found, not Nick, work Nick at Saban, all. Nick Saban found that out with that his does little stint at not Miami. Work at all in the NFL? Those are grown men. Yeah, I mean, again, they're they're paying millions of dollars, and they don't have to being paid millions of dollars. They don't have to put up with that. And again, those personalities develop over time. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, so that one will be interesting too. And it's also a shame. I really like those Florida teams. They were a lot of fun to watch. Lot Big fun offensive watch. teams. A lot of great players that ended up in the NFL, uh, but uh, again, locker room chaos there. So we'll find out what that's all about on August the 23rd. Number four. This one is a more positive one. We're not as negative here, not behind the scenes of fraudulent activity. <laughs> this one is Stephen Curry, underrated. This one was released a couple weeks ago on Apple TV. It's uh, may I was able to watch this, actually. I do not have Apple TV, but uh, former host of the program, J.J. Jackson, uh, also... Uh, my absolute best friend in the entire world uh, had watched it, said, dude, you need to check this out. So I went over there the other night, got to watch it at his place. He was willing to watch it again. Appreciate him for that. And uh, I enjoyed it. You know that Steph Curry is my favorite professional athlete, period. Uh, so this particular one, this, this documentary, I say particular like he's got a bunch of them out there. To my knowledge, this is the only one. Uh, this is about his time mainly at Davidson and how he was not recruited by the big schools. Um, Three-star recruit, wanted to go to Virginia Tech. That's where his dad, Dell, went. Uh, and so this one is about mainly the, the runs at Davidson and about him kind of overcoming the you're too small, big schools don't want you, that sort of thing at, at Davidson. has a little bit of the NBA in there, too, from talking about his record-breaking uh, three-point shot against New York and that sort of thing. But – that is available on Apple TV. Stephen Curry, underrated. Number five. And number five is something that's a little less recent, but still not too 
long ago in the month of June, Quarterback was released on Netflix ah. following some quarterbacks in the National Football League. And uh, Cam, I have not seen it, but Cam, you did see yes. it, and it was very good, right? Yes, very, very good. Following Kirk Cousins, Patrick Mahomes, and um, and Marcus Mariota, kind of three different tiers of quarterbacks. Uh, one's you know the superstar quarterback uh, that just got the big deal. The other one, uh, the kind of mid-tier quarterback, and then one that's uh, another quarterback that's trying to struggle to find and keep his place in the league so it kind of goes through all three of those stories um i i liked it a lot it kind of also solidified that i really don't like marcus mariota anymore <laughs> um but love patrick Mahomes. also love kirk cousins now as a person love that guy <laughs> um he that that show has made me a fan of the the person that kirk cousins is very wholesome guy um and so, yeah, it, it was a great, great show. I, I loved it. I highly recommend it if you have Netflix. Um, it's absolutely worth a watch. I think it's only like eight episodes or so, um, and it, it follows uh, plenty of the season. So uh, it's definitely worth a watch. So that is Quarterback. So that is also available on Netflix. We had three Netflix, one HBO, one Apple TV. I was not trying to be partial towards something that I actually can consume. Uh, it's just simply that that's what the talk of the sports documentary world is right now. Some of the um, most popular sports stuff out there. So, again, the Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by South Eastern Land Group. Looking at five notable documentaries either already released or soon to be released on the various streaming services. Again, those were Untold. Johnny Football, that was on Netflix starting today. BS High, that's coming to HBO here in a couple of weeks about Bishop Sycamore and that fake high school that was created uh, the Untold series continues with Swamp Kings in two weeks, August 23rd on Netflix. That's about the University of Florida under Urban Meyer and the locker room dynamic. Stephen Curry, underrated, available now on Apple TV. And Quarterback on Netflix. That came to Netflix in June about, again, Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, Marcus Mariota. Still looking for the guys, I think, for year two is uh i think, I think one of them they did find uh i think joe burrow is going to be they said it initially he wasn't but i think oh, that'd that be another he, he under is. the superstar category yeah. that'd be a big deal uh so that series of in season one available and they had a, a lot Netflix. of rejections for it just because it does delve into a lot of lives so not everybody's comfortable with it but sure um it's not all about football. yeah it's not all about football so that's a look at Sports Calls 5 at 5. We're going to take our first time out of the third hour of the show today. Coming up, a look at Kentucky football as we continue to preview 14 SEC teams in 13 shows. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom PV Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday edition of the show. If you've missed anything show, so far, you go back and listen to it on the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Enjoy an ice cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola Taste the feeling. Today we get into Kentucky football a little bit, so we continue to preview all the SEC teams. Kentucky has been kind of a reliable, solid program over the last several years under Mark Stoops as he uh, continues to answer questions about the ceiling of Kentucky football, also if there's a next step for him and that sort of thing. Uh, Kentucky continues to be um, some somewhere in the middle of the league reliably. Uh, they have stayed out on the bottom for quite some time. If you look at Mark Stoops overall at Kentucky, 66-59, and 59, had a 2-10 and 10 in there to start, then 5-7, and 5-7, seven, 7-6, and 7-6, seven. Seven and six, seven and six, both 4-4 four and four in the league both years. 10-3 and three was their best year. It was done twice, 2018. They finished 12th in the country after a Citrus Bowl victory, 8-5 in 2019, 5-6 in 2020. The 10-3 in 2021 also went to the Citrus Bowl, also won it, finished 15th in the country and 7-6 and last year. So they never won the East. They've been second or tied for second three times. Uh, a lot of returning starters back this year. Of course, the most notable player, though, on the team is probably – that Devin Leary coming in from NC, uh, from NC State, whereas Will Levis is gone. What is the outlook in your guys' opinions for 2023 for Kentucky? Um, I, you know, I, I mainly have questions on defense from them. Uh, you said that, you know, return a lot of starters, uh, only five return on defense, but you got 10 back on offense. And so uh, you return a lot back on offense. Uh, you lose a really good quarterback. Uh, and, and Will Levis, but you may actually be getting a better quarterback in Devin Leary uh, from the transfer portal. So I think their offense can be uh, really, really good. Uh, I do question the defense. Um, you know, there's going to be have there's going to be a lot of question marks for Kentucky on defense. Uh, but looking at their schedule, I I could see nine wins. Uh, I don't see a ten win repeat uh, of twenty twenty one. But if you just go down through their schedule, Ball State's a win. Eastern Kentucky should – these are should be wins. Ball State should be a win. Eastern Kentucky should be a win. Akron should be a win. At Vanderbilt should be a win. That's 4-0 to start. Your next game against Florida. Florida, many people are picking to finish dead last in the East. So you're really looking at the potential of Kentucky to legitimately be 5-0 and before they go to Georgia on October the 7th. And you got to think that's a loss. You follow that up with Missouri, which should be a win. Tennessee, probably a loss at Mississippi State. I, I think would say Kentucky, it's a win. I think it's at Mississippi State. Kentucky's better than Mississippi State. I'll give them a win. There's seven. They do play Alabama. You got to think that's a loss. Uh, at South Carolina is going to be iffy, but that could be a win. And then at Louisville could be a win. That's There's your nine right there. Not saying that's going to happen because if you go through last year where they got beat by Vanderbilt, uh, they lost to Vanderbilt twenty-four to twenty-one. They uh, they got beat you know, by South Carolina last year. So if they can if they can win the winnable games, then they're easily nine. I, I don't see ten. It would take a major upset somewhere in there right. for them to get to ten. 
Um, I could definitely see them being a nine-win team, though. Uh, but they've got to be able to take care of the business on some of these winnable games that they did not do last year. But we'll see what happens with uh, with Devin Leary as they're starting. Most likely going to be their starting quarterback. They may actually improve in that area. I mean, Will Levis was amazing, but yeah. they may actually be better. And like I said, they've got uh, ten returning starters on offense, so the offense should be good. Just questions on defense with only five returning starters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they actually will get better at the quarterback position. I think Devin Leary is better than Will Levis. Um, at the college yeah, level, absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely absolutely. think sure. so. Um, and with that, I, I think they'll have some. You know, they'll have some issues. Uh, they will have some issues on defense for sure, just because of the how they're returning. But I agree with what you said, Tom. The offense, I think, is going to be able to fire on all cylinders if they can raise that points per game up and and really be able to score. Uh, maybe that that defense won't be as glaring and as much of a problem. I agree; they can absolutely be a nine win team. Um, we actually had this conversation, I think, with Jordan Jordan Rogers. You and I did, um, Ryan, where. Uh, he said that also their their wide receiver core is going to be sneaky good this year. Um, I mean, right here, just his uh, Dane Key is somebody who could be absolutely uh, crucial to how how they're going to play. And um, yeah, I, it'll take a miracle for them, I think, to be Alabama, Tennessee, and and Georgia. Those are really the three where there can tr- there were are truly games where you think, okay, they don't really have much of a chance um, unless something crazy happens. Um, And then, you know, South Carolina, I think, could also be one that could be an absolute toss-up just because we don't really know what to expect from South Carolina. I think they could be good, but they could also, you know, maybe they're not as good as what's expected, but they have been building some momentum, so you could definitely see where where that could end up being a loss. Um, they, They lost to them last year, so... They could very well lose to him this year, depending on on how things play out. So, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely a nine win team. It all hinges on if their defense can get some some decent stops. Um, but I mean, if their offense is able to fire on all cylinders and and play really really well, then um, they they can absolutely be able to. Um, you know, I mean, nine wins. That's right. that's good. I'll take that. Nine that, wins. If you're Kentucky, I will absolutely take that. Yeah. The, the other thing, um, if there, if you do have to, if you do want to question something on the offensive side of the ball, it would be at running back, uh, because they have lost uh, running backs, and I mean, you're looking at the potential of starting a, a Vanderbilt transfer at, at running back, but I mean, some of their better players are gone from that running back, so. They lose Christopher Rodriguez, but that Vanderbilt transfer is not nothing. Actually, well, yeah. uh, I was looking. I was looking at the numbers. Look, Christopher Rodriguez is still going to be valued over uh, the new incoming running back uh, Ray Davis. Ray Davis actually outrushed Christopher Rodriguez last year at Vandy. He ran for over a thousand yards. Uh, so I, I don't think that it is impossible that they can produce at a similar level at running back again. A lot of people love Christopher Rodriguez. That's someone that I talked a lot about last year. Uh, so I get it. Rodriguez is probably still the preferred option there, uh, and now he is gone. But, again, Ray Davis at Vandy last year, 1,042 yards uh, for the Commodores. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility they end up being fine production-wise. I think it's the offensive unit as a whole that we got to worry about with Kentucky. Or not worry about, but just got to figure out what they end up being. Right. Because even though they're the unit with more returning starters, Again, this is why I say it's not going to be hard to do better than Will Levis. They averaged 20.4 points a game last year. Yeah. 
20 points a game is not that's getting not good. anything. Nope. And that's why – like, their defense was pretty damn good. They gave up 19 points a game. And, sure, it's not going to be all the way to that level this year. I think it will regress back into the mid-20s somewhere. But statistically, in since 2018, so five of the – or, excuse me, six seasons – I can't do math. Five seasons, four of those five years, 22 points a game or less for Kentucky's defense. Like, right. reliably speaking, they will spit out a productive defense, even with the lack of returning starters. They shouldn't go above the 23-24 number, honestly. But it's that offense because the first year Will Levis was awesome. That's what got him on the map. They were 32 points a game. When you look at Will Levis uh, himself – uh, he was a 66% passer, 24 TDs, had a little bit of an interception problem, but 2,800 yards, looked pretty good. But even last year, 19 TDs to 10 picks. So he's thrown double di- he threw double-digit picks in both years that he started at Kentucky. In the college game, that's a lot. We talked about that yesterday. Uh, double-digit interceptions is a lot in the college game yeah, in, in 12 sure. or 13 matchups. Uh, Mid-60s completion percentage, pretty solid. Not something that other people can't obtain, but solid. But they didn't pass a whole lot. 2,800 yards in 13 games in year one. 2,400 yards uh, in in year two last year in 11 games. You know, it's just over 200 yards a game. It's, It's not some huge number. And so they are a balanced offense. But also they have the ability with Devin Leary who was injured a lot last year, only got to play in six games, 11 TDs to four picks, 1,200 yards. The year before, 2021, and I grant you that it's the ACC. It's not quite as difficult as the SEC. 66% completion percentage, 65.7 to be exact. 3,400 yards, 35 touchdowns to five picks. That is yeah. an awesome ratio. Yeah, and that's so good to see. I have my doubts as Will Levis is a pro. I don't have doubts about college. Devin Leary is going to be better than Will Levis. And so what level do they obtain of offense? Do they Is it worth to them to be a little bit of a downgrade at running back but to be a little bit of an upgrade at quarterback? Is it worth five points, seven points? What is it worth to them? If it's only worth five points, they're not going to achieve the nine and three that they want to achieve. If it's right. worth ten points, then we're talking. Uh, the good news for them is they've got three automatic non-conference wins. There was a time at Kentucky where that's not always true, so that's nice. The Louisville part's interesting. Some people really like Louisville in year one of Jeff Brom being there. Uh, maybe that's just addition by subtraction, having Satterfield leave, even though it was of his own volition he was not fired. Some people like Louisville this year. I don't know what to tell you in that regard, although it is a rivalry, and it's at Louisville. So I would not put that one in the bank if I'm Kentucky. I would not right. say that's automatic. They have had pretty damn good success about Louisville. Uh, they beat them several times in a row. But again, I, I'm just I want to be a little cautious on that one. The West teams that Kentucky has this year, well, they've got Alabama, so that's difficult. That's the one that rotates, and that's going to be a loss. Then they're at Mississippi State. That is winnable. However, I don't love that is on the road. I'm saying to you that there is a wide chasm in the ceiling and floor. We're talking about ceilings and floors, and there's been a couple teams we've done already that I've only had about a three-win difference, about nine versus six or something in there. I think Kentucky can be nine. I agree with that. However, 
if things go poorly on offense and they're in the low to mid-20s again, and Leary is a little better, but maybe their run game's worse, right. and, and just they don't have a good play. Sometimes they, you have poor coaching, and there's a pattern at Kentucky. 20 points a game. The big Levis year was 32, but then 21, 27, 26, 25. There's a pattern of Kentucky not being particularly good on offense or being yeah, very pedestrian. No, yeah, not consistent. If they are that, I think their floor is all the way down to 5 and 7. I think you could go from 9 to 5. I don't think they'll be at their floor. That's why it's a floor. It's not the most likely outcome. But could they lose to Mississippi State on the road? Yes, they can. Will Rogers is good. Mississippi State is not that is really not any lesser talented than Kentucky. Kentucky's just been Kentucky's just in theory better coached than Zach Arnett. But if Mike Leach was still with us, I would say they're just as well oh, coached. Yeah, we'd be having a different conversation. Right? Yeah, and so right. roster wise, there's not a, a world of difference. I might give a slight edge to Kentucky, but very slight. Could be made up for on the road. Could they lose South Carolina? Absolutely. South Carolina's picked ahead of them right. by some people. Sure, sure. And it's at South Carolina. Yep. Absolutely could lose that game. And, of course, don't have to sell you on losing to Tennessee. I think they should beat Vandy under every circumstance. So that's their fourth win. And Missouri's the other one that I'm saying a part of their floor that they should win. It's homecoming. It's at home. Obviously, that, that's what's meant by homecoming. Thanks, right. Ryan. Captain O over <laughs> here. Uh, but even Missouri is not unfathomable that they somehow lost. They only won 21 to 17 last year. It's not like they had, again, the, these teams, the, the reason the floor, so low, I could even say it's a four and eight four. If I'm talking this way, Yeah. the reason being is that Kentucky thrives off of being well coached. When you put it on a piece of paper, it doesn't look like it's so obvious. Like, like Missouri and Kentucky, there is not a world of difference. I will say Kentucky is better than Missouri. I will say that Kentucky is slightly more talented. But when you play to a 21-17 game last year and you have a 35-28 game in 2021 when it is on your home field and you straight up lose to them in 2020, these aren't like awesome Missouri teams that are playing one-possession games with you yeah. or even beating you in 2020. So, again, I'll take Kentucky over Missouri. That is the most likely outcome. But is it the only outcome? No, it is not. No, no. So... Anyway, I think Kentucky has a very wide range of outcomes. We continue to see the great coaching of Mark Stoops, and I do think it's great. It is hard to win eight or nine games at Kentucky. That is not a small thing. Uh, the theme of this week, it will not be a theme tomorrow when we talk about Texas a but the theme of this week, we did Ole Miss, we did Arkansas in the prior days, has been can you maintain your status or even improve your status in the SEC landscape prior to the arrival of two teams that will knock you down. Because I believe me, Oklahoma and Texas joined this league. That's two more rings down for True. Kentucky. So can you take advantage of the remaining time, the last year that you have, to try to position yourself better against some of your current East foes? I know we'll all put it into one pot. We won't have divisions anymore. But can you quell the momentum that South Carolina has? Can you keep Florida in a very disgusting and, and poor swamp environment, a swamp that's not conducive to positive gator activity. <laughs> I don't know. I think all gators in all swamp situations are probably good. That's probably a very poor analogy. But can you continue to have Florida in a place that is very uncomfortable being and very much below where they should be? And then can you make sure there's no whoops moments with a team like Missouri, where Missouri starts to feel like or they – Vanderbilt. 
Yeah, or Van- that, that's the Van- old, If they lose Vandy, then they got this beat- thing's going to run. Yeah, well, they got beat by Vanderbilt last year, so that's true. That is true. I will say though that if they lose to this Van- this Vandy team this early in the year, right. that's when your season's in trouble. Right. Like if you if you have already lost to uh, Vandy and you don't come back out there and beat Florida, yeah, then you know you're down three and three because that's Georgia. Okay, you can still get that Missouri game before the bye week. Then Tennessee is tough. Not impossible, but tough. But tough. At Mississippi State, okay. We're four and four. I still think Kentucky can win that game, but okay, fine. Five and four. Then Bama. L. Five and five. Then at South Carolina, at Louisville, at a couple rivals to just make bowl eligibility. That's the type of thing I'm talking about. You can't be in that scenario for Kentucky this year. You have to be in a better scenario because if you're not in a better scenario, where where does bowl eligibility happen for you in the in the, in the future? Once you have another loss for most years when you're playing Oklahoma or Texas, depending how they rotate it, you might play both in the same year yeah. on occasion once we start to actually have the, the true and final form of whatever this is going to be, hopefully starting in 2025. So, again, it, that's that's the theme. The middle of this league, it's all so important this year because you have these coaches are established. Mark Stoops is established. He is the second most tenured coach in the Southeastern Conference behind Nick Saban. Like, you can't be giving ground right now. And then if you're Ole Miss earlier this week, when we talked about them, we talked about Arkansas, guys that are still relatively new, still trying to make their way in the league, but still we feel pretty confident about them being solid or at least decent, at least pretty good, still high potential to some degree. These are the middle teams of the SEC. This is where we are in our evaluations, middle teams. That's inherently you could go up, you could go down. Right. It, it's it's every year is important for the middle. Uh, and again, I propose to you that this year, where it's the last year of fourteen before you have two programs that will be above you, and historically, historically and resource wise and in expectation wise, you got to get all you can this year. I think that's the theme of the week so far. Any final thoughts, guys, on on Kentucky this year? What you're looking out for and uh, their place in the league? No, I don't, I don't think I have any. Just like you know, like we kind of outlined, uh, it really just hinges on if the defense will be able to be good. And and like you said with Devin Leary, if as long as you can be better than what you were with quarterback play and Devin Leary than you were last year with Will Levis, I think the team will be able to improve um, and and win some games. Because I mean, does that like does that not scare you? 20 points a game with someone that people liked at quarterback. <clears throat> yeah. And that's... and look, we all agree here that people liked him too much. Yeah. Was, but th- but that's concerning. Yeah, for sure. It is concerning. Yeah. I, I agree. I So my, my last takeaway is Kentucky has a legit shot at a nine-win season. I don't sure. see ten. Nine, right. nine is very doable yes. for them. But they could also be a four-win team. Yep. I mean, literally yep. that big of a divide – between nine and four, there is the potential for them to start four and zero and then lose the rest of their games. I mean, that is <laughs> that is legit when yeah. you look at it. Put it this way: I'll give you I'll I, give you I, example. I, I, I know you probably won't lose to Missouri. Sure, well, I I I keep skipping over that. At Louisville, though, should be a win. I don't think Louisville's very good this year. Again, some they are dark horse in the ACC. Right, I'm okay. just I'm just saying that as a rival, Kentucky's had great success against them. I get it. It should be 
But is, Louisville but is, should not be a three and nine team this year. But it is at, at, and it is it is at, at Louisville. Louisville. That's why. That's but again, why. But again, rivalry on the road. I'm not right. Not just giving it to them. It, but again, and that's when you look at the way the schedule sets up for them: Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron at Vanderbilt, four and zero. Then there's the potential for them to lose Florida, Georgia, Missouri, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Alabama, South Carolina, Louisville. That is a potential, or they could go nine. So <laughs> there you go. There. Kentucky, you know, there's your ceiling and floor right there. I mean, you you could be a nine win team or a four win team. What are you going to do? Yeah, it is. I mean, again, it will be. I it will be in the middle, just sure, knowing well, Kentucky, sure, yeah. right? I'm mean, like, again, none of us are picking hot take here. No, we, yeah. I think we both we all think that they will still end up about that seven win mark, maybe eight. Yeah, that's probably right, and that's Most where likely. Soups has been. Again, I'm right. not. I wasn't trying to sound an alarm of, oh, yeah, Ryan thinks they're going 4-8 and eight this year. We're going to have trouble in, in Lexington. John Calipari's going to have to yell at Mark Stoops again. Uh, you know, they, I don't, I'm not going there. I'm just simply suggesting that this is a interesting situation. By the way, that Louisville team, I just want to give you a couple ounces on that. Um, they were 8-5 and five last year, okay. so that was not a bad team. It's first year Jeff Brom. That's right. going to be interesting. I don't know if they are – I don't know exactly. Again, Louisville's kind of in the middle of the ACC. I don't. They could go either way. Sure. Their quarterback this year will be Jack Plummer, who was at right. Purdue with Jeff Brom, very familiar, quality college quarterback. We'll see. I don't know. I'm just simply saying that I would not just write don't rivalries write like that into into stuff. I see. And I was not familiar with Louisville. I thought Louisville was like really down. But no, I mean Satterfield had done enough to keep his job. I mean he did enough to get another job. So I mean it's. Again, it's Louisville's fine, and again, some people really think that Brom's going to take off there. So I just wanted to present that angle to it, but but yeah, no, I mean they their season they have a pretty wide chasm due to just the the ceiling on the talent, the cap on their talent. But again, we that's where the coaching comes in. We think Stoops will still be fine, avert crisis, and have again another respectable team there in the middle of the SEC. We're going to take our final timeout of the show. When we come back, we'll start to wrap things up. Also get to the nightly TV guide. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry on the show today. <laughs> anyway, arguments. I'm still here. Fun, Tom but is still here. Tom is still here, too. Tom Peavy. 
I like Tom a lot. We disagree sometimes. It's fine. And we disagree sometimes in the world of sports. Also, it's fine. We as in just anybody. It happens. We we had a disagreement during the break. All in good fun. Uh, but Tom will be eating good tonight, and I always like to hear about Tom's uh, Wednesday. Wednesday's always the, the meal where yeah. it's either grilling or, or going out or something like that. Wednesday, and, Wednesday so. and Saturday are usually the one of those is the cooking day, but tonight it's going to be going out night. That's why I – and I remember that about you. That's why I always usually ask you on Wednesday. You you offered up uh, where you're going tonight, but, again, that's why I'm always like, ooh, what's Tom doing? Yeah, yeah the lady said she wanted to, uh, she wanted to keep it keep it simple and quick tonight. And so I was sure. like, hey, we'll, we'll just go out and grab a bite. Um, real quickly for the TV guy, I've got about four minutes left. Uh, little Braves thing that I hinted at earlier. John Smoltz, remember, had a lovely time listening to Smoltz and Glavin and Francoeur and that Chipper so uh, in that Braves Mets game earlier this year. Smoltz is returning to the booth, and it will be for multiple games. It's not the big broadcast that they had last time. He's like, as an analyst, with him and Jeff Francoeur, with Brandon Godden. For the Braves Yankees series next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and the Philly series in September. So, two series John Smoltz returning to the TV booth for. A lot of people gave him great reviews for the local, more the local John Smoltz versus the national John Smoltz. Yeah. That is a little bit more, you know, analytical, but also, I'm not like analytics part, but just really trying to Try stick to, to analyzing. Yeah. Stick to how the game used to be, how it is now, etc. And people really like the personality he showed in the local aspect, and I'm very excited to have him. Yeah, me too. Really excited uh, to have him in there. That was a um, when they had him in there. That was for the Mets series, yes. right? For Mets, just for the a Mets game, game. game, and that yeah. was a great game, is what the walk off. Yeah, yeah. ended up being a great game. So um, having having him back in the booth, that'll be really fun. Um, I'm gonna try to tune in to as many games as I can to to watch those guys because they 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 were enjoyable so let's let's see how it continues to play out and got them for again huge series now the philly series might not be that impactful although philly will be in a wild card race true but uh just to have the brand of the yankees in here i mean i know it's going to be it's gonna be the a it's gonna be the first home games in a while because all this week they're on the road it's a pretty long uh road Oof, stretch yeah. and they were on the road on the weekend so i think it's a 10 or 11 game road trip for the for braves wow uh and so it'd be first games back in almost two weeks but also bring in the yankees and now with the balanced schedule, that's going to happen every other year, and I'm very excited about it. But uh, the Yankees are always a huge draw, and even know that they are only struggling for a wild card mm-hmm. spot. They're a couple out of a playoff spot in the American League. Doesn't matter. Still big names. Still the Yankees. Still going to be an exciting series. Well, the thing is, the Braves have struggled with some of the lesser teams. I mean, they lost a series earlier this season to the Oakland A's. I think there's a <laughs> the Yankees are still over 500. Just <laughs> want to be clear, <laughs> they're still very different. Space Oakland occupies. Uh, the Yankees are like 59 and 54 or something like that. They basically are around the Marlins record for, for reference, a game or two behind Philly, that sort of thing. So uh, not exactly awful, but, yes, a not the uh, elite caliber of team that uh, the Braves are, that's for sure. But John Smoltz returning to the booth there. Going to be very excited to, to hear that uh, starting or next week there for that Braves and Yankees series. Final minute or two of the show. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Little League Baseball continues 6 o'clock on ESPN. We've had that on throughout the day in the office. There's not uh, many sports on throughout the day. 
Uh, but that's at 6 o'clock tonight. The game that was prior to it was in a weather delay. I'm not sure about how the uh, 6 o'clock game will fare. Uh, I don't even know. They're in different, should be in different yeah, they're, locations. They have not, they're, they're not in Williamsport, right. Pennsylvania this yet. This is to There's, qualify yeah, for it. Right. Uh, so maybe that 6 o'clock game will have no weather issues. Uh, but that's 6 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, Athletes United or Athletes Unlimited Softball continues 6 o'clock on ESPN 2. And then 6.05 is first pitch for the Braves and the Pirates. Uh, game three of a four-game set in Pittsburgh. Max Freed on the bunk for the second time since being on the injured list, so hopefully a better start in store for the Braves tonight. Please. Uh, and again, Ronald Acuna Jr., after being hit yesterday, still in the lineup, still hitting leadoff. We'll see if he can hit another leadoff home run like he did last night. And then a couple of movies for you here. 6 o'clock on Nickelodeon. It's the B-movie for a little animated fun. 7 o'clock on AMC. It is the original Avatar. Yeah, I don't think the second one will be on TV just yet uh, as it just finished the theater run. But uh, that is 7 o'clock. That is Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Unfortunately, uh, those listening on the radio signal can't hear us right now as there's another severe thunderstorm warning right as the... Uh, show concludes. So only the people listening to the podcast and to the live stream are going to hear oh, the conclusion fine. of the show and the sign-off today. So uh, that is unfortunate, I must admit, but uh, alas, can't control the weather. But again, that's Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide by White Claw Hard Seltzer. That will do it for the show today. Cam, thank you for being here today. Glad to be uh, hope here. Hope you have a great rest of the week. We'll see you again next week. Yes, sir. See you next week. And Tom, thank you for being here today and throughout the week. Absolutely. Uh, proud of our Thunder Chickens. Thunder Chickens all thunder the way, chickens. baby. Absolutely. Have we, gr- we clucked up last night. Absolutely. Have a great <laughs> rest of the week and uh, see you again next week. That will do it for the show today. Uh, for Cam Barry and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan Lavoy. Of course, we always appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. That will do it for the show today. Have a great Wednesday night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.